Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. South Africa has just a fraction of the resources of a lot of developed countries, but still it has managed to flatten its COVID-19 curve. The country says it has more than 3,600 cases, but officials say community transmission is under control, buying hospitals time to prepare if cases do spike. Here's NPR's Ada Peralta. Dr. Salim Abdul-Karim, a preeminent expert on HIV, was given a prime time slot on national TV to explain this epidemic to the country. We're just trying to get the slides up so you can follow me. The lecture went into how epidemics develop and how South Africa acted early, locking down when there were few cases. Karim explained that when South Africa hit 100 cases, it should have snowballed as it did in Europe or China. But the curve leveled off. No other country has reached that point and has been able to reach a stage where you get that kind of plateau. Dr. Dennis Chopeta, a virologist studying tuberculosis and HIV in South Africa, explains the success. South Africa has made a lot of progress in combating both HIV and TB, and that experience is coming in handy with COVID-19. Part of that experience is contact tracing. South Africa has one of the highest rates of HIV infections, and tuberculosis often comes with it. Like COVID-19, TB is a respiratory disease spread by droplets. Chopeta says the government has had to run a big contact tracing operation to keep TB under control. The personnel is there, the experience is there. There is no need to train people to actually you know, start doing this kind of contact tracing. Compared to wealthier countries, South Africa is doing little testing. But the government is sending 28,000 health workers to screen the population for symptoms, to catch the virus in the community, not when people show up sick to the hospital. Emily Wong, an infectious disease doctor at Africa Health Research Institute, says that was an ambitious recommendation from scientists. It feels like everyone's on the same page really trying to do the right thing. The messaging is clear and consistent, and she says citizens are on board. I think a lot of us here in South Africa are kind of pinching ourselves because we remember in the early 2000s when it was such a different relationship between the scientific community and government. Back then, at the peak of the AIDS epidemic, South Africa's president, Thabo Mbeki, was an AIDS denier. HIV, he argued in front of parliament, could not cause AIDS. How does a virus cause a syndrome? It can't. 
Of course, he was wrong. Scientists at Harvard University found that his recalcitrance contributed to the deaths of some 300,000 South Africans. Tom Frieden, who used to run the American CDC and has worked across the African continent, says these scars taught African governments and citizens the menace of disease and the importance of public health. There's an understanding that we have to take them seriously and have to do what works to limit the damage. Frieden says those muscles have atrophied in places like the United States. Contact tracing isn't common, so the U.S. would have to train thousands to do it. And he says Americans have forgotten how horrific infectious diseases could be. Public health in the United States and globally isn't given the kind of respect it needs. The kind of respect it needs, he says, to defeat the coronavirus. The kind of respect it's getting in South Africa. Ader Pralta, NPR News, Nairobi. Have you ever heard of the movie City of God? Oh, yes. Yeah, saw that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it, but, you know, that that's supposed to be, you know, send, you know sending a message to somebody about, hey, Uh, You know, color does make a difference. The number of people dying of COVID-19 in Brazil is surging. Officially, it's more than 3,600. But with relatively little testing, the real toll is believed to be far higher. NPR's Philip Reeves reports that one Brazilian city, Manaus, can no longer cope. Wallace de Lima lost his father a week ago. He was 55. His death wasn't officially registered as COVID-19 because he wasn't tested. Delima is certain the virus caused it. His dad had all the symptoms, he explains. Delima used his cell phone to film inside the hospital during his father's final hours. My dad's dying and there's no one here to help him, he says. He saw corpses on hospital beds alongside patients. When my dad died, I counted nine other bodies, says Delima. Outside the hospital, there were angry scenes. The nightmare continued when Delima took his father's body to the cemetery. There were about 20 other funeral cars, he says. Manaus is a river port in the Amazon rainforest. It's capital of Brazil's Amazonas state. Drug trafficking's rampant. Homicides happen every day. The carnage caused by COVID-19 is in another category. Patricia Sichá is a doctor now on the front line. The population of Amazonas is being decimated, she says. Sichá says chronic corruption has starved local hospitals of resources. She's had to buy her own personal protection equipment. The health system's not prepared for the coronavirus, she says. Planejamento zero. Organização zero. There's zero planning, zero organization, she says. Ambulances carrying patients must wait outside hospitals because there are no beds, says Sisha. So far, Manaus has only registered 193 COVID-19 deaths. Yet the mayor's office says the average number of people dying every day has more than tripled. During the first three days of this week, there were 340 burials, it says. Manaus has begun burying its dead in mass graves. An online video of its largest cemetery shows backhoes pouring earth onto coffins within. This is the only option, says Manuel Viana, a local funeral director. Otherwise, it would be impossible to dig enough graves. 
Vienna says some families no longer come forward to claim their dead. Those who do can't mourn properly because of restrictions on cemetery gatherings. Seeing families unable to say farewell to loved ones is heartbreaking, says Vienna. Health officials believe the coronavirus hasn't yet peaked in Brazil. There could be a very serious problem in the next 10 to 15 days, says Wilson Lima, governor of Amazonas. Dr. Patricia Sichar is determined to battle on. We're giving everything we have, she says. We cry, she says. Then we wake up, dry our tears, and get back to work. Philip Reeves, NPR News. This is dedicated to who we make himself. So for the tens of millions of school children here in America, best case scenario still means months of lost time in classrooms. For more on what the long-term effects of that might be, we have called on John King Jr. He served as Secretary of Education under President Obama. Before that, he was Education Commissioner for the State of New York, and he is also a former social studies teacher and principal. Dr. King, welcome. Thanks. Thanks so much for the opportunity. So what does the research tell us about how much ground students may lose? Well, we know that when we have summer learning loss, it is a significant driver of our achievement gaps for low-income students. And we can expect that that will be exacerbated by this period, that rather than two months away from school, we're looking at five or six months away from direct instruction in the classroom. Even in places that do distance learning well, we can expect that students will lose significant ground. I I don't want to sound melodramatic, but do you worry about a lost generation here? That students who lose six months, do they ever make that up? I, I do worry about that, particularly in our districts that have the least resources. But it's really up to us. It's a question of do we have the political will to invest the resources to make sure that we don't lose a generation. Uh, We'll need summer distance learning. We'll need after-school programming and potentially Saturday programming during the school year. And then we'll need to think about extending the school year or providing summer programming in summer 21. These things we're talking about, is it realistic in a moment where we keep hearing about states are cash-strapped, cities, counties are cash-strapped, school districts, do they have the money to do things like Saturday school and summer programs? Uh, we're, we're going to need the federal government to step up in a big way. In the CARES Act, there was about $30.75 billion for education split between K-12 and higher ed. That is not nearly enough. If I may bring in your own story, I've seen where you've talked about losing both your parents when you were a child, and you have credited New York City public schools with getting you through that. 
what goes through your mind when you think about we're looking at a nation of kids, in fact, a world of kids living through this pandemic, some of whom have family members who are sick, are out of work, or have died because of COVID-19, and they don't have their usual support system of teachers and classmates at their side. I'm, I'm heartbroken about the kids for whom school is the place that provides structure and support and a sense of security uh, that don't have that. I mean, for me as a kid, after my mom passed when I was eight, I lived with my dad. My dad had undiagnosed Alzheimer's. And so home was this place that was scary and unpredictable and unsafe. But school, school was the place that was reliable and consistent where I had positive relationships with adults and peers. And I wouldn't be alive today without those school experiences. And I worry about the kids who are in homes where there's abuse, where there's addiction, where family members, as you say, have lost jobs, where family members are sick or passed away. It's so important right now that school districts find ways to make sure that adults at school are connecting with kids regularly. Kids need during this period to know that they are seen and cared about by people at school. That's such an important point, because I know as a parent watching my kids struggle with remote learning right now, I'm so focused on the education and whether they're learning or not. But you're pointing to that schools play a way bigger role. Absolutely. I mean, for an elementary school student, the most important thing may be just that morning meeting where they see their teacher, they see their peers, and they check in with each other. And if we can create that virtually, that may be the thing that gives them a sense of safety and security in this really tumultuous time. We can't lose sight of the critical socio-emotional supports that schools provide. John King Jr. He is a former Secretary of Education and now President of the Nonprofit Education Trust. Dr. King, thank you very much. Great talking with you. The love story starts with Dr. Vanessa Grubbs. She was a family doctor, and she hadn't planned on falling in love with a man who'd been living with kidney disease since he was a teenager. But when she did, it set her life on a new course. Appalled by his years-long wait time for a kidney donor, she decided to donate one of her kidneys to him. And then she began to study, document, and fight against what she began to see as subtle but nonetheless very real racial biases in the decisions over who gets those precious transplant organs. Oh, and the guy? She married him. And 11 years later, they are still going strong. She writes about all this in a candid new memoir, Hundreds of Interlaced Fingers. Even as we learn more about this coronavirus, there are new questions we didn't expect about what else it may be doing to the body. In addition to the respiratory distress it causes, COVID-19 seems to be linked with increases for some patients in inflammation of the heart and other organ and tissue damage. None of these connections are conclusive. But William Brangham explores one of those connections that has a number of doctors concerned. That's right. One of the many things that we're learning about this novel coronavirus is the impact that it is having on the kidneys. And for that, I'm joined now by Dr. Alan Kleiger. He's at the Yale University School of Medicine, and he co-chairs the COVID-19 response team for the American Society of Nephrology. Dr. Kleiger, thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Could you tell me when you first started to learn that what we think of as a respiratory virus is also damaging kidneys? Well, some of the earliest reports out of China showed that among COVID-positive patients admitted to the hospital, 
as many as 40 or even 50 percent had evidence of some damage in the kidney. They had protein in their urine or blood in their urine. And 10% of them even had some decrease in kidney function. So we knew early on that the kidney was one of the targets. And do we know why the virus impacts the kidneys? It's not so clear, but there's been a lot of speculation about that. We know, for example, that the virus can attach to kidney cells through a specific receptor in the kidney. These same receptors are in other organs as well and can damage the kidney directly. We also know that in patients who are very sick, who need to be on ventilators and are in intensive care units, that the combined illness in the lung and other organs can sometimes cause a huge inflammatory reaction. And the body releases these things called cytokines, and they can in turn damage the kidney. So what are the practical implications if I am someone who is infected with the coronavirus and I'm getting quite sick and it starts to damage my kidneys? What, are, what does that mean for me as a, as a patient? Yeah. Well, first of all, most people who are sick with this disease never get sick enough to be in the hospital and never get sick enough to have many organs damaged that way. But if you look specifically at patients sick enough to be in the intensive care unit um, uh, from COVID-19, it looks in centers like New York that have a lot of disease that 30 or 40 percent of those patients may have evidence of uh, kidney failure. There are even some places that there are as high as 50 percent of those intensive care unit patients who have kidney failure. We know that's obviously a huge complication for the individual, but it's also got to put some stress on the ICU that is caring for them because dialysis, that kidney care is not something that is easily procured, right? Well, it's true. In, in, in centers like New York or other cities like Detroit or Chicago, first of all, many more intensive care units have had to be created to take care of patients who are so sick. And in those units, the provision of care like dialysis or like continuous replacement therapy, different kinds of dialysis treatments that treat kidney failure are very intensive of both equipment and personnel. So obviously that means ICU staff have to be beefed up, the amount of equipment have to be beefed up. Is it your sense that there are enough of those individuals and equipment to handle projected surge of cases? Well, we know that best from the experience in New York, where last week many hospitals started running uh, short of equipment and be concerned about those staff. Uh, you know, many people taking care of patients with kidney with uh, COVID-19 themselves have been infected. And so often staff are out and ill. And so what we started hearing from New York was that the need for equipment and dialysis was four or five times usual, while staff available was sometimes 70 or 80 percent of what usually is used. So that combination has made it really critical in some places to bring in more staff and to bring in more uh, equipment. Long term, do we know what this virus does to the kidneys over the long term? Meaning, do people heal from this and can they restore traditional normal kidney function? It's a good question. And this is early yet, and we don't have all the answers to that. What we do know is that there have been patients who have had acute kidney injury from this illness that they've recovered from and where the kidneys have been able to go on and do what they've needed to without dialysis. 
But we also know there are some patients who still have evidence of kidney failure and need dialysis even after they've been released from the hospital. Another one of these long-term impacts of this virus we're going to be living with for a very, very long time. Um, Dr. Alan Kleiger at the Yale University School of Medicine, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Medical apartheid, the dark history of medical experimentation on black Americans from colonial times to the present. So there is one thing that distinguishes the nursing homes in New York that have reported the highest number of patient deaths from COVID-19. An NPR analysis shows it is not the quality of the nursing home. It is the percentage of people of color who live there. NPR investigative correspondent Joseph Shapiro has more. Nursing homes are on the front lines of this pandemic. Residents make up almost one out of five deaths nationwide from COVID-19. They're often frail. They have underlying health problems. Nurse aides who work for low wages do the hands-on care, get people out of bed, bathe them, take them to the toilet. They and other staffers were some of the last to get personal protective equipment, those masks and gloves. That made it easier for the virus to spread. For all of our pandemic response, much of the attention has very appropriately focused on hospitals. Dr. Dora Hughes is a professor of public health at George Washington University. But uh, I think for what we've seen with the nursing home, it's a fairly stark reminder that we need to really expand our thinking in terms of essential workers. And nursing home, the direct care staff, should have been a greater priority. Some 20 states are documenting COVID-19 deaths at nursing homes, if the facilities report them. NPR took the list from New York, the state with the most deaths by far. New York named 73 nursing homes where six or more residents have died. In one facility, 55 people died. We use the federal government system for rating nursing homes. It gives them a star rating from one to five. And we found those nursing homes that recorded deaths actually had better quality scores than other nursing homes in New York State. I expected we were going to find these were the nursing homes with the lowest quality ratings. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. That's my colleague Hua Jingnan. She ran the numbers. We looked at staffing levels. They were about the same for nursing homes that reported deaths and those not on the list. Their reliance on Medicaid patients who bring lower reimbursements was about the same, too. The nursing homes with outbreaks were often larger facilities. Half were in New York City. There was one thing that really stood out in NPR's analysis, race and ethnicity. Those nursing homes where residents died were far more likely to be disproportionately made up of people of color, Black, Latinx, Last year, NPR collected a huge data set on nursing homes, including numbers that allow us to look at the racial demographics of every nursing home in the United States. Our finding of that racial imbalance is not unique to nursing homes. We know that across the country, black people, and Hispanic too, are dying at disproportionate rates from COVID-19. It is not surprising that this is exaggerated. Dr. Clyde Yancey is the chief of cardiology at Northwestern University School of Medicine. He wrote in the Journal of the American Medical Association about the long history of racial disparities in healthcare and how it plays out now in this pandemic. Someone living in a nursing home who has suffered more extensive complications from the disease process because of already embedded health disparities, one can only imagine what happens when that individual now is facing coronavirus infection, potential COVID-19 complications. Years of poverty and inequality led to less access to health care, to hard lives and jobs, 
to a greater likelihood of developing diabetes, asthma, and other conditions that now put people in those nursing homes at greater risk. The NPR data adds one more piece of evidence to that lesson from this pandemic, that people of color are dying at much higher rates. And in our analysis, that's the bottom line in nursing homes as well. Joseph Shapiro, NPR News. The man not race, class, genre, and the dilemmas of black manhood. Around the world, COVID-19 seems to be killing more men than women. Global Health 5050 is keeping track of this data in dozens of countries. It's an independent initiative at the University College of London. Sarah Hawks is one of the co-directors there. She has worked in public health for some 25 years, and she says she's been seeing differences in the severity of cases and death rates going back to the initial outbreak in Wuhan, China. It's been seen from the beginning. If you look at those initial clinical reports, they stated that um, it, it seemed to be affecting men more. And the risk of death was higher amongst people with what are called comorbidities. In other words, other underlying diseases. And that, to be really honest with you, should not have come as too much of a surprise because that's pretty similar to the picture that we saw in both SARS and MERS, which were the other two corona-related epidemics. Well, so if if we're seeing a gender difference emerge, um, as you said, in in previous viruses and, and then this one as well, Let's talk about what might be at play here, because I know some point to women perhaps as having stronger immune systems. Is, is, is that one theory that, that might explain this? There's quite a lot of good evidence that shows that across a number of aspects that female immune systems are essentially a lot stronger. That might explain why women seem to have um, less severe infections and less risk of death. But From the work that we do, we would argue that whilst recognizing that there are these important biological differences between the immune systems of men and women, that that doesn't go the whole way to explaining it. Because if it's all down to biology, you might expect to see really quite similar differences between death rates in men and women um, in every country. And we don't actually see that. And so we think that there's something else happening there as well. What else do you think might be at play here? Yeah, so for that, we think that this is probably down to what I talked about earlier, which is these other underlying diseases, the diseases particularly that affect the heart and the lung. And we know from global data that those diseases are more common in men. And from the work that we do, our hypothesis is that those diseases are more common in men because of the gendered behaviours of men. So a large part of the burden of heart and lung disease globally is driven by exposure to factors such as tobacco smoke and drinking alcohol and even things like air pollution. And a lot of that is very gendered behaviours. In many societies, it's men who are more likely to smoke. It's men who are more likely to drink alcohol. And it's men who are frequently exposed to high levels of outdoor air pollution because they are frequently the people who are driving cars, taxis, buses, trucks, whatever. Hmm. What about behavior right now? I mean, is there anything that that men are doing differently you're finding? I mean, I don't know about 
if it's washing your hands less, if it's being not as careful to avoid contact with with other people? Could could anything happening in in this moment be playing a role? That doesn't seem to be playing as much of a role. What could be playing a role, and where we've seen this in other diseases, including previous um, viral epidemics, is that men have tended to seek care later in the course of a disease than women do. So if you look at what happened in the Ebola epidemic, for example, there was a delay in healthcare seeking amongst men compared to women. And there was also a higher death rate from Ebola amongst men compared to women. If we look at the HIV data in Southern Africa, we see quite clear data showing that men tend to seek care later in the course of an HIV infection compared to women. They've got much higher viral loads, their immune systems are much worse, and hence their survival rate is actually much lower compared to women's survival rates. So in terms of the immediate here and now, it might be that men are seeking care later in the course of of their COVID infection. What is the response? I mean, is there some kind of public messaging for men that should be taking place right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's probably public messaging for men and there's public messaging for people making health policy. So for men, if our hypothesis turns out to be right, that men are being stoical or are more afraid to seek health care or more reluctant to seek health care, then the obvious intervention, the obvious message there is to say you need to seek health care as, as soon as possible. In terms of the messaging for health policy, we would like to be sure that there isn't a need, for example, for different clinical care pathways for men and women. So, you know, do we want to intervene earlier in the stage of a disease amongst men in older age groups with these other coexisting conditions? Is there a case for that? That would clearly require clinicians to start thinking about sex differences and gender differences in their treatment pathways. But we know from lots of previous work that we've done that the profession of health researchers um, is actually remarkably bad at taking sex and gender into consideration in their healthcare provision. And we're seeing that reflected now by the sheer paucity of sex disaggregated data coming out from many major countries, for example. You think this could be a wake-up call? It would be a terrible thing if it takes a global pandemic for people to to wake up to that piece of knowledge. But hopefully this will be a, a starting point for people to do better as far as recognizing and acting on um, sex and gender differences in health and medicine in the future. We've been speaking on Skype to Sarah Hawkes. She's professor of global public health at University College London and also co-director of Global Health 5050. Professor, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. We're not 
not done. You still have work to do because the system is still biting. Because the system, by its very nature, has never been fair, has never been human, has never been what it claims to be. But we, in our fight, in our struggle, we can make change, but only if we fight together. All of us, every one of us, when we fight, we win. So let us fight together. Never forget that I love each and every one of you for the remarkable work you have done and we have done together. So let's get together. Let's make it happen. I love you all. On the move. Long live John Africa. Long live freedom. And down with this rotten system. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. I am not prejudice. One dangerous side effect of this pandemic is prejudice. A new study shows that as people try to protect themselves from getting sick, they can turn on those they perceive as different. The host of NPR's Hidden Brain podcast, Shankar Vedantam, joins us to talk about it. Hi, Shankar. Hi, Ari. Uh, explain what this study showed about the connections between disease and prejudice. Well, researchers have been asking for a while, Ari, if there's a connection between patterns of prejudice and patterns of infectious diseases. The thinking is if you live in a place that is at high risk for disease outbreaks, you're more likely to view strangers or people from other groups with suspicion. In a new analysis of both explicit and implicit prejudice of more than 75,000 Americans, psychologist Brian O'Shea and his colleagues do find a correlation between infectious disease prevalence across the United States and prejudice among both blacks and whites. Here's O'Shea. If you're a resident of a state that has higher infectious disease rates, these residents express higher in-group preference or out-group disdain. So if you're a white participant, you have a stronger pro-white anti-black bias. And if you're a black participant, you have a stronger pro-black anti-white bias. Interesting. So bias is running in both directions, not just from the majority group to the minority group. That's right, Ari. Now, it's worth pointing out, of course, that this is a correlational study. We're seeing an overlap between two things. We're hypothesizing there could be a connection between them. O'Shea and his colleagues added an experimental component to the study. They showed white volunteers who were especially concerned about their health, people with what they call germ aversion, a number of different images. Some showed people who were sick and coughing and sneezing. Others showed neutral images. And still others showed scary pictures that were related to terrorism. O'Shea said that researchers found that among white Americans with germ aversion, images of sick people significantly increase their explicit prejudice, much more so than images of terrorism or the neutral images. So this lends credence to the hypothesis that there is a connection between disease concerns and prejudice. Hmm. Tell us what that means for this moment now, because during this pandemic, we've seen so many reports of prejudice against Asian Americans from people who are angry about the disease's origins in China. So, so what does this mean for the coronavirus? It comes from China. You're absolutely right, Ari. It, and it's not just Asian Americans in the United States. Across the world, people who are considered outsiders have seen you know, growing numbers of examples of prejudice and even xenophobia. O'Shea says that what we're seeing with prejudice patterns in the COVID-19 pandemic is entirely consistent with his data. Here's O'Shea. If you're living in a region with higher infectious diseases or there's a pandemic that breaks out, such as Ebola or the current COVID-19 crisis, 
you're going to see more intergroup tensions and racial prejudice occur in these kind of environments. Well, it sounds like what he's saying is that this is not necessarily unique to COVID-19. Does that mean that rising prejudice is going to be inevitable whenever there is a, a disease that people are afraid of? I'm glad you asked me that question, Ari, because I think the study is making the case that in some ways there is an intuitive connection between disease outbreaks and prejudice. And in some ways, when you have pandemics break out, it might be somewhat natural to see diseases, uh, to see prejudice rise as well. The study is not making the case, of course, that prejudice is the appropriate response to pandemics. In fact, besides being ethically problematic, prejudice is actually deeply counterproductive. It's a distraction. It causes people to stay in the shadows. It delays sharing of information that can save lives. Ultimately, Ari, we really are in this thing together. That is Shankar Vedantam, host of NPR's Hidden Brain podcast. This week, they look at the effects of the coronavirus pandemic on social isolation and loneliness. Thank you, Shankar. Medical apartheid, the dark history of medical experimentation on black Americans from colonial times to the present. Today, racial disparities. 21% of the people who live in North Carolina are African-American. But black people make up 39% of COVID-19 cases in the state and 37% of the deaths. Dr. Mandy Cohen is the Secretary of Health and Human Services. In her near-daily addresses, she's mentioned this racial disparity before, but this week she made a point to highlight it. I want to assure you that these disturbing trends have not gone unnoticed by me or by my team, and they must be addressed. But as Dr. Cohen also said, these disparities did not begin with this pandemic. The racial differences in health care are well documented by all manner of researchers, including those in the very department that she leads. What this pandemic has done is shine a bright light on the long-standing structural biases and inequities that impact our health outcomes. So let's start there with Benjamin Money. He's North Carolina's Deputy Secretary for Health Services, and he spoke with producer Will Michaels about how COVID-19 has put a new focus on the long-standing problem of racial health disparities. When you think about the largest minority group in North Carolina, African-Americans, we obviously have um, disparities in terms of life expectancy. And it, it even varies by zip code. You can go into areas that are fairly close And with a different zip code, with a different uh, demographic uh, grouping, you can see some significant disparities just in overall life expectancy. And we see that across the state. And um, it it really starts in birth. So there's a disparity in terms of uh, maternal mortality. We also see it uh, as it pertains to uh, chronic disease. So diabetes, hypertension. And then we also see disparities as it pertains to uh, mental health. And a lot of it really is very much rooted in historic uh, issues, particularly here we are in the South, it's a legacy of Jim Crow, legacy of, of slavery. And many of those features of those conditions have carried on generation after generation. And I'm probably jumping ahead, but you know, when we when you think about COVID and its infection rates. I mean, people get infected at the same rate normally, but we're finding that people that work in the service industry, people that have more uh, opportunity to have contact with people on an individual basis, have a greater 
chance of contracting the disease. Well, I, I don't mind you jumping ahead at all. Let's pull that thread out a little bit more if we can, because your colleague, Cornell Wrights, who's the executive director of the Office of Minority Health and Health Disparities, told the healthcare working group at the legislature last week, you know, he was talking about some of the social determinants of healthcare. His words were, being black is not the risk factor, but how we treat people because of their skin color is the risk factor. And he pointed to racism and unshared power. I guess my question is, how do the social structures that we have in place have an impact on healthcare disparities? Yeah. So when we think about the disparities, disparities of income, and how do disparities of income happen? They happen as a result of access to education, access to employment, um, access to opportunities. You know, it's, it's not by chance that people who work in the service industry have lacked opportunity, okay? In many instances, they are living in generational poverty. So there are systems in place that uh, are within this country historically, redlining, other forms of discrimination. That was, of course, the Federal Housing Administration yeah. mostly blocking out um, the ability for people of color, African-Americans, to to get home loans that they would need to build wealth. And those programs, to some extent, still exist. Um, there's been studies that have shown that um, people uh, who go for loans, that even with the same employment and credit history, African-Americans and people of color will pay a higher interest rate. Mm -hmm. And there's also um, hidden redlining that occurs where, you know, while it's disallowed by federal law, people of color get steered to certain neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. If you fail to have opportunities to utilize probably the greatest investment that most Americans have, their home, to build wealth and then be able to pass that wealth along generationally, then your next generation is even further behind. So, you know, very concerned about the recovery that, you know, is taking or will take place after COVID. Will it be a disproportionate recovery? Will people who were living on the margins, will they be further behind than they were even after 2008? You were talking about zip codes just a minute ago, and I kind of wanted to talk about location as well. Of course, there are some differences in urban versus rural when it comes to the infection rate, and that's probably due to some pretty clear factors like population density. But for someone who might be economically disadvantaged in an urban area and someone who might be economically disadvantaged in a rural area, particularly people of color, are there particular disparities there? And kind of how are they, how would you say they're being magnified during the pandemic? So I think that the testing numbers are really interesting because testing measures folks that have been tested. Right. So if you have areas in which not much testing is going on, yeah. it can actually reflect inaccurately. It can actually um, be perceived as if there is uh, no transmission of the virus taking place within the community, when actually it could be. Um, so I think that that can, for some, in some instances, create a false sense of security among folks living in those communities. So Folks in rural areas sometimes can be hidden away. And also within some of the rural areas, you have um, in some instances a stigma about utilizing social services or human mm. services. That can also be true in, in urban areas as well. And I think people have avoided 
getting health care because they uh, have wanted to avoid the financial implication of what a diagnosis could mean for them. And in those circumstances, people end up putting off care. The promise or the likelihood of wanting to find out if you have a condition that is going to put you further in the hole, that is going to make you um, seek the healthcare system when perhaps you even have bills in the healthcare system that have gone unpaid, it, it really becomes somewhat of a disincentive. Well, it strikes me, you know, and I suppose it remains to be seen because we've got some time left in this pandemic, but it strikes me that, you know, this is highlighting some vulnerabilities or weaknesses in the systems that exist. Absolutely. You know, um, before this pandemic, uh, folks didn't pay much attention to the people that checked them out at the grocery store or cleaned up in the office where they were working or collected uh, recycling. Now we call them essential workers Mm -hmm. because they are essential. They've always been essential, but we've never given them the credit, nor have we compensated them fairly. And and now we have situations in which people don't make a living wage, don't have access to health insurance, don't have access to sick time, but yet we're, we're essentially lauding them and saying, thank you for being a hero by you know, going to your job every day, seeing more and more different people come across your path and essentially risking your life, the life of your family and your well-being uh, to provide this essential service. Atlanta has some of the highest asthma rates in the country. And I have four children in my household who are asthmatic. And so you think about a a large African-American population with many of the underlying conditions that have proven to be deadly for people who are stricken with COVID-19, it is most important that we take our time and we be thoughtful. Prejudice is actually deeply counterproductive. It's a distraction. It causes people to stay in the shadows. It delays sharing of information that can save lives. Ultimately, Ari, we really are in this thing together. A racist text message sent to the mayor of Atlanta regarding her opposition to Governor Brian Kemp's decision to reopen the state. Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms has been all over the place using her voice, as she calls it, to warn against restarting businesses amid the pandemic. Fox News' Morris Diggs describes a conference call where that racist taunt she received was discussed. Earlier today, the mayor was discussing the topic that's on everyone's mind right now, the pandemic. It was during that conversation with a group of city council members that this racist taunt subject came up. Most disheartening, the mayor told the council members, is that two of her children were exposed to this ugliness. A decision by the governor on reopening business amid the pandemic concerns has sparked controversy. But should you disagree, and the mayor of Atlanta is one, believing it is too early, then you would not take to someone getting ugly about your position. And the mayor took a written jab. Sent to Keisha Lance Bottoms was this racist message, which we partially edited. It claimed to be from a group called Reopen Georgia. Blank, just shut up and reopen Atlanta. The mayor answered with a tweet. With my daughter looking over my shoulder, I received this message on my phone. I pray for you, and then quoting MLK, conscientious stupidity or sincere ignorance. Bottoms earlier today had a conference call with city council members. One, Michael Bond, had seen the racist taunt and expressed his concern. I'm concerned that 
I want to make sure that they're addressed. Uh, how are you doing and how is that being addressed? Thank you for your concern, Council Member. Um, we are doing fine. Not only did I receive it, but my 12-year-old son received it as well. I had a very long conversation with Ambassador Young this morning, um, and he just reminded me that white supremacy is a sickness, and we're not cowards. <laughs> cowards don't run for office, so... Wow! Hey, yo, drama, hold up, son. Hold on, hold on. Stop the motherfucking record. Right. I want you to pondy replay, drama. Pondy replay. <laughs> Let's give him one more chance, man. Run that shit the fuck back. I had a very long conversation with Ambassador Young this morning, um, and he just reminded me that white supremacy is a sickness, and we're not cowards. <laughs> cowards don't run for office, so... I will continue to use my voice to speak on behalf of our community. Uh, children should be off limits as it relates to any and everything. There is a group called Reopen Georgia, and an organizer says this individual fraudulently used the name of the group and that the group disavows the racist message. From Northeast Atlanta, I'm Morris Diggs, Fox 5 News. North Carolina. Hundreds of protesters with the group Reopen NC marched past the state capitol in Raleigh Tuesday, demanding that Governor Roy Cooper move quickly to end his stay-at-home order. At times, the protesters were jammed together, defying the governor's orders that the protesters practice social distancing. WFAE Steve Harrison reports. The first Reopen NC protest was a week ago. One person was arrested, and the Raleigh Police Department tweeted that, quote, protesting is a non-essential activity. That arrest and comment was on nearly everyone's minds during the rally. No! Open North Carolina now! Goodbye, Cooper! Open North Carolina! Freedom! When do we want it? Now! When do we want it? Cooper's stay-at-home order ends April 29th, and the governor has not said what's next in the state's efforts to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. But many protesters, like Sarah Baucom of Raleigh, believe Cooper has overstepped. Yeah, this will not be forgotten. This will definitely not be forgotten. This will be fresh on everyone's mind. So I hope people uh, really take this into consideration um, when they're voting. And I think that, you know, a lot of times people vote with their pocketbooks, and right now those pocketbooks are empty. So During the protest, there were a half a dozen healthcare workers wearing masks and smocks who staged a counter-protest. Baucom says one of them told her, as a warning, that she's had to intubate a child the same age as her son. Yes, that's why I went after her. She said, oh, we intubate people his size all the time. So I told her to intubate this. To demonstrate, she extended her middle finger. In a letter to reopen NC Monday, Cooper's legal counsel said the protest was allowed under the stay-at-home order. But the letter warned that law enforcement would, quote, intervene if protesters didn't practice social distancing and stay six feet apart. And for much of the rally, they did stay apart. But when protesters began marching down Jones Street, police initially blocked their way, creating a logjam of more than 100 people packed tightly together. The Capitol Police did not make any arrests. One protester carried a sign that said, Fire Fauci, a reference to Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, who has at times been at odds with President Trump over the nation's coronavirus strategy. There were numerous don't-tread-on-me flags and signs pledging support for the president. It had the feel of a Make America Great Again rally. Gary Jesmuk of Raleigh was one of the few protesters wearing a mask. He held a sign that said, 
Cooper is more dangerous than the virus. A lot of people in the lower parts of our strata of society are basically looking around for food. So we got to think about those people, too. I agree. This is uh, this is a the, the virus seems to be somewhat contagious, but shutting down makes the uh, the cure worse than the uh, worse than the, than the than the disease. Ninth District Congressman Dan Bishop of Charlotte attended the rally, wearing a mask but not holding a sign. Bishop said he initially supported Cooper's order, but said the state now needs a timeline for when stay-at-home will end. The governor needs to. He's got an extraordinary. It's an extraordinary exercise of emergency power to have this uh, this order that locks people in their houses. And while people have been prepared to cooperate with it, it cannot go on indefinitely. It cannot have just an indefinite extension with no articulated plan backed by disclosed, fully disclosed facts and data and, and solid modeling to say when that is going to end. Bishop also criticized the COVID-19 modeling from Mecklenburg County, which predicts a surge of cases in June, even as the number of new cases has been falling in late April. In South Carolina, Georgia, and Tennessee, Republican governors announced this week plans to reopen their states. For WFAE News, I'm Steve Harrison in Raleigh. At almost the exact same time that the protesters began walking and chanting down Jones Street, Dr. Michael Gunn, professor of medicine at Duke University, was saying this on a Zoom call with reporters. You know, the people that are advocating that we eliminate social distancing right now and that we just completely open up the economy. I mean, what they're really advocating for is that every single person in this country become infected with coronavirus. Uh, Because that's what's going to happen if we throw things wide open. So if you like your grandmother, you may not want to do that. There are forecasts tonight that the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic is still ahead, even after the current wave passes. The warnings come as deaths in the United States have nearly doubled from a week ago. But also at the same time, momentum is building here and abroad to lift restrictions. William Brangham begins our coverage. We are ready to reopen Tennessee. More protests occurred today as debate heated up across the country over how and when to reopen the economy. From Tennessee to Washington state, opponents of shutdowns, some carrying weapons, blasted their governor's stay-at-home orders. We've been affected by the virus in our family, and uh, it's not a joke. But, you know, not letting people have food on their tables isn't a joke either. But the Washington Post and others report some of these demonstrations are in part being orchestrated by pro-gun far-right groups on social media. And recent public opinion polls show a strong majority of Americans, over 80 percent, favor keeping up distancing measures to control the virus. At the same time, even though the protests are often in opposition to his own public health officials, the president has urged them on, tweeting that states need to be, quote, liberated. These are great people. They want to get, they call cabin fever, you've heard the term. They've got cabin fever. They want to get back. Amid pressure to reopen, some manufacturers, like Boeing and Washington State, are getting ready to put thousands of people back to work this week. And Georgia's governor, Republican Brian Kemp, announced he'll let gyms, hair salons, and some other businesses reopen this Friday. But Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease expert, warned today that states could see new outbreaks if restrictions are lifted too soon. If you jump the gun 
and go into a situation where you have a big spike, you're going to set yourself back. That's what leaders in New York emphasize today, even as the state's death toll dipped to its lowest point in more than two weeks. We're going to be smart about how we come back. We're going to be smart about uh, how we turn the corner. We're not going to let our foot off the gas prematurely. Local leaders say it's a decision that hinges on the capacity for much more widespread testing, which is still lacking in much of the country. But the president on Sunday argued again that, in his words, testing is a local thing and not the federal government's responsibility. But Maryland's governor, Republican Larry Hogan, rejects that idea. To try to uh, push this uh, off to say that the governors have plenty of testing and they should just get to work on testing, somehow we aren't doing our job is just absolutely false. And today, Hogan struck a deal with suppliers in South Korea to secure 500,000 tests. Testing in the U.S. has partially been delayed due to a shortage of the nasal swabs used to take samples. So this is the swab. The president said Sunday he would use the Defense Production Act to boost swab production. How you doing, guys? New York officials rolled out an antibody testing program to see if people who've been infected have now developed antibodies, which might offer some protection against the virus. It's another crucial test, but Dr. Fauci cautioned that many of the tests currently being marketed are not reliable. A lot of them are not validated, point number one. Point number two that's important is that we do not know exactly what an antibody titer means. I mean, there's an assumption, a reasonable assumption, that when you have an antibody that you are protected against reinfection. But that has not been proven for this particular virus. In Geneva, the World Health Organization also warned today that the decision to ease restrictions should be weighed with extreme caution. Trust us, the worst is yet ahead of us. Meanwhile, some nations around the world are moving to regain a sense of normalcy. In Germany, a nation that did widespread testing, small stores opened their doors to customers today for the first time in nearly a month. For the PBS NewsHour, I'm William Brangham. There's been widespread rejection of President Trump's suggestion that coronavirus might be treated by injecting disinfectants, or as he put it, getting light onto the body. Manufacturers have warned that toxic disinfectants must never be used internally. Some doctors have described his suggestion as irresponsible. The administration's own experts said at the same briefing they hadn't heard of using light in the way Mr Trump described. Our correspondent John Sopel was at the White House briefing. This was a news conference at which Donald Trump had brought a scientist that we hadn't seen before working at a laboratory for the Department of Homeland Security. A very interesting research which they have been carrying out on the effects of UV light, higher temperatures and humidity on the coronavirus. And they found very interestingly that the higher the temperature, the higher the humidity, the less long that the coronavirus would last on a surface. And so when we've been told in the past that it could be two or three days that the coronavirus could be around, well, it seems that if there's a high temperature and UV light, then it only lasts a matter of a few minutes. And so that is kind of a very positive news for the summer, 
where people have been wondering whether, you know, when it gets warmer, will the coronavirus die out? Now, there's a lot more research that needs to be done. The scientists then talked about how if you put disinfectant, bleach, or something like that on a surface, that too kills the coronavirus immediately. And then I can only describe what happens, happened next as utterly surreal, because the president started musing about what would happen if you could inject people with disinfectant. And people were kind of looking at each other thinking, have I just heard this correctly? Let's listen to what he had to say. The disinfectant, where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute, and is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or, or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs, so it would be interesting to check that, so that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds, it sounds interesting to me. And, of course, that has caused a furore with doctors and medical experts on social media saying, whatever you do, uh, do not try this at home, and all you have to do is to read what's on the side of a bottle of bleach, and it says, you know, under no circumstances should you be ingesting it. Uh, the conversation then got onto a more even keel, uh, and I asked the president, for example, if the advice is that it's better to be outside than inside, well, are you going to change the advice to people uh, come the summer? And he suggested that may well be something that they would consider. Our North America editor, John Sapel. What I'm seeing here in Harlem is they, they forced everyone to wear masks. I went to the store today. Um, the people say, you need your mask on. You know, people I can enter. They had like a, a whole monitor, uh, a black person there telling other black people what they can. They set up the lines in all the stores where you have a black person telling you, hey, go to line five. Instead of you just picking what line you want to stand on, it's just, it's just to be ridiculous. And I'll read my line. Thank you, Gus. The last thing I wanted to say is it's kind of ridiculous, the, the mask, wearing masks. Um, it makes it to where I don't really want to say hi to people when they're wearing masks. And, you know, I, I go about my day, I, I say hi to, to people um, uh, every now and then or a lot sometimes. But I don't want to talk to anybody with a mask. And it, it makes it to where I don't know, you know, if people are going to do a crime. I don't think, you know, but it's now everybody has a mask on. But it's real, really ridiculous. And they weren't wearing a mask when everybody can see the chemtrails, but nobody can see this COVID-19. But, you know, whatever. Okay, thank you. Yesterday, a watchdog released a report about Facebook showing that some super spreaders are responsible for exposing millions of people to bogus claims about the virus. Our reporter, Lucas Alpert, has been looking into it, and he joins us to explain. Hey, Lucas, thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. Excellent. All right, so tell us about this report. Who created it, and basically what does it say? Um, well, the, the report was put up by a company called NewsGuard. They run a kind of a – they created a browser extension you could uh, attach to your search engine that flags – sites that have a bad history of promoting or posting uh, fake news. Um, and they have a staff of reporters who kind of investigate various different kinds of sites, whether it's political or health and science that, 
you know, sites that traffic in that make dubious claims. So they've done a report where they've uh, made a list of what they call the 15 top super spreaders of uh, fake coronavirus news on Facebook. So the way they defined this was uh, sites that um, have Facebook followings of, you know, several hundred thousand, uh, some of them even over, you know, well over a million um, that have posted, you know, uh, repeatedly posted stories that made claims about cures or the origin of, of coronavirus that has been basically roundly debunked and that these posts were still up on Facebook, uh, you know, after the point last week where Facebook said they were really clamping down on this. So they found quite a few of these things that had sort of continued to slip through the net. This is not the first time that Facebook has had a hard time keeping misinformation off their platform. It's been difficult for them in the past as well. How are they responding to this report and to the misinformation themselves? Have they been taking any action? So last week, Mark Zuckerberg came out and you know, made a, a post on Facebook and, and made some public comments saying that they were really aggressively trying to clamp down on this. They, they're aware of this issue, these kind of bogus cures. So they've, they've done two. They've, uh, they're doing two approaches here. One is if it's um, stuff that they've determined to be an immediate like kind of harmful effect. So if it's saying rinse your mouth with bleach and that will kill coronavirus, you know, they take that post down. So, you know, that can actually cause harm. Um, if it's something where it's sort of more debatable um, or, you know, it's kind of maybe falls into the land of free speech, coronavirus originated from a, a lab. It was a bioweapon that escaped a Chinese lab. They will put a, um, a, a marker on that saying that the, you know, the fact checkers have, you know, questioned the, the, the veracity of, of this information, but they won't take it down. But they'll put a, a warning label on it. And they said that their data shows once that warning label is attached to it, there's a 95 percent drop off on the people who actually click on it. Now, we talk about this a lot. You know, why are we so concerned about this kind of misinformation online? Facebook has also banned some posts and groups that have been promoting anti-lockdown protests. Um, We've seen a lot of those groups sharing misinformation about how the coronavirus spreads. Is this something that they're talking about more specifically? Um, Yeah, I think this kind of falls again into that same, you know, distinction that they're making about, you know, taking down things that promote harmful activity. And I think they've determined that you know, going to a big public event during a pandemic lockdown, they've you know made the determination that that is a harmful event. They don't. They will not stop you from talking about it and raising these issues about whether you know lockdown should occur. That I guess falls into the free speech, you know, debatable point kind of category. But the actual you know organizing events to you know kind of encourage people to go and gather in big groups, they determine to be something that is uh, you know dangerous. So they. they they will stay. They've said they are going to take that stuff down. Media reporter Lucas Albert, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. White supremacy is the sickness. Mm. Andrew Young. Mm. White supremacy is the sickness. Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Saturday, April 25, 2020. So I have been told. This is our weekly compensatory call-in. 
Dial in if you have thoughts, questions, observations, suggestions. The number 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. That number again, 605-313-5164, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Lots of things to get to. Before we get to our callers, Wowie, Andrew Young, the sickness is white supremacy. Mm. Could not have said it better myself, Uh, even though I think I, I have heard a few times the plague. Very close, very close. I think just slightly different noun use but you know right there Andrew Young the sickness is white supremacy Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was talking to Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms now we heard from her last week uh, and she was talking about Atlanta high asthma rates and all that she had the part at the end where they asked her about uh, Joe Biden and being his running mate and we picked out the metaphor she said I don't care if Joe Biden picks me to be his running mate or Green Martian or anyone who will give him the best chance to beat Donald Trump caught the metaphor caller uh, down in Florida Uh, so that was her last week and so within days uh, Governor Brian Kemp uh, of Georgia says we're going to get to to reopen it you know we got folks who are uh, metaphor chomping at the bit you know they just can't wait anymore to get their new tattoos and to get their nair, nails done, get their hair did. You know, we have waited long enough. We are not going to let the Rona continue to impinge upon our spring. We are going to get tatted up and, you know, get outside. And so Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, hey, Negra Mayor in Atlanta, she's going to be uppity. You know, we got asthma problems and bad air quality, notoriously bad air quality in Atlanta. Uh, and yeah, so, you know, we hold on a minute. We're going to take our time with this and urge folks to kind of settle down. Nigger reopen the city. May text her children too. the whole lot of, in my view, whole lot of elements of direct racism, because uh, if you are a racist white supremacist racist, you can identify niggers, you know, the governor white man of Georgia he said specifically there is nothing to discuss you cannot overturn I am in charge I am the man and I said what I said for the whole state of Georgia and that's that so I mean it was no I need to talk to this nigra about opening up nothing if I have any problems bam the governor has already said hey this is the schedule we are open for business boom 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 and he ran it all down so I mean what is it why do I even not need to talk to this nigger she's not in charge the governor has given us the protocol for what's going to happen in our state 
I'm either to call, I'm name call. I mean, talk to her child. Move, nigger. Talk to the governor. Get my problems resolved. You already know that. You just want to practice racism. Whites do that a lot. Got to talk to your children about white supremacy, racism, mandatory. Going to be a problem for them. It's just a matter of when, how soon, how often. Got to talk to your offspring about the sickness white supremacy white people Uh, make sure I reiterate 11 plus years of broadcasting the cows if you like the cows so what if you do not like the cows so what the objective is still singular solve the problem replace white supremacy with justice immediately for sure Uh, I thought that segment that they had uh, from NPR they were talking about so called pandemics within when there's like a health scare that everybody becomes a little prejudiced everybody gets to be a little biased and they said we we did this study and that if there's an area that's a so-called hot spot then everybody you know they just want their group you know black people just you know they want other black people they get suspicious of white people and vice versa all the way around and they pointed that out specifically they said, oh wow it's not just and they didn't even say racism they didn't say racism anywhere in the report certainly not white supremacy they said so it's not just from majority to minority group Wow. Way to be indirect. Some call it pussyfooting. It's not just white people terrorizing black people. Wow. I would have great suspicion even about that. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I, I do not believe that. <clears throat> System of white supremacy does use a lot of deception. Very common. Y'all have to, we all have to come to our own conclusions about when lies are being told that is what I have great suspicion of right there. But anyway, the main point of it, everybody becomes a little prejudiced uh, during times like these. Mm. Uh, Continuing. uh, I am not a doctor, medical expert, not even an expert on racism, white supremacy. Uh, So to have a, major medical crisis uh, it would be fantastic uh, to have more folks with medical expertise if you have some time as a medical practitioner grand you should have better information help offer some guidance lead us through the way make sense of you know what's happening and try to as I've said consistently use logic to make quality decisions part of the thinking we had uh, Vernelia Randall on the program this week and uh, Dr. Sylvia Hood Washington which was wowie the timing even knowing about her book and her work to have her on at this time but that's you know the thinking these folks might be good to uh, hear their thoughts perspectives uh, hear what they have to say as we try to make sense of all of the confusion Uh, I want to make one thing as clear as possible. 
uh, man in a system of white supremacy the primary weapon the primary method of practicing white supremacy racism is deception Mr. Fuller has said that for years it's in his code book he's explained that concept frequently the direct violence is not exercised until the deception is no longer working deception number one method this entire uh, crisis phenomenal illustration of I think I have said for a long time confusion is lethal when you can put people in a situation I think Mr. Fuller has given examples you can put people in a uh, situation where there's a fire we need to exit the building this is not a place where we've worked here for 50 years or something so we don't know all the fire exits and things you put people where now there's confusion someone has come along and removed all the fire exit maps you know and so now Ted comes in and says oh okay I know what the fire uh, exit plan is follow me and then they might have Susan run out and says oh no wait a minute Ted doesn't know what he's talking about this is the new fire exit plan (laughs) now you got you know racist white supremacists because you have a lot of deception confusion lying number one method frequently you can end up with wow lethal results with confusion that happens on a regular basis and that has been on I was going to say daily display but with this it's been hourly display sometimes even more frequently than that and in so many ways uh, I said last week or I I can it's a lengthy list of how this has just been a total uh, demonstration of uh, incompetence and confusion Uh, I said the federal response it's been incompetent ridiculous non-scientific not logical from the very beginning Uh, what about a federal response for the children I've heard that in other countries where it was detailed where they had it broken down by grades like we're staggering how they're going to return to school and bam this is the national program that sounds intelligent taking this seriously logical not the United States way you come out at one point oh let's you don't need to wear a mask that's ridiculous then you come out oh wait a minute everybody needs to wear a mask well I don't know maybe you don't need to wear a mask they came out with the packages there's no risk go ahead and get your packages then they came back and said wait a minute you maybe need to let those packages sit in your car for three days wait a minute you just to have that sort of thing where people come out and contradict what they've said and they give exact opposite uh, suggestions from what was previously recommended to have that be routine (laughs) a matter of uh, daily practice uh, throughout this it undermines people's competence Uh, it ends up where people don't take things seriously Uh, you end up with people questioning everything becoming suspicious and rightly so (laughs) when you don't have a competent adequate logic based response so that you can make quality decisions for yourself and your family in my view that right there could be the intended racism white supremacy to just have total nonsense so that you have lots of confusion people don't take it seriously and particularly if what has been reported is accurate we already know that 
this is going to have a big impact on non-white people, black people in particularly. We'll have some white sacrifice too. Like, oh yeah, we know we got obese white people here. Absolutely. We know we got white people here with diabetes. We know we got white people here who are just going to be ignorant and go out. They're not going to social distance, hold hands, do all that. The college students that ran down there and all that. We'll have some white sacrifice. Yeah, that's part of war. But the folks who will get the brunt of this will be the negras. No problem. We won't take it serious. We'll just mess around. We'll give out conflicting reports. And, you know, we'll come out and tell them to social distance. And then we'll have the president come out on the same day and encourage the protesters. Like, yes, be liberated. Don't let them treat you like a nigger. You're not on house arrest. Get out there. Protest, my brothers. Easy four more years. Easy. Same thing that I said last week. My opinion on that is not going to change. Yes, this has been absolutely disgraceful, appalling the federal response in every way contributing to the loss of lives not something to sit around and snicker about people are going to die and you have that sort of incompetence not even just incompetence I mean coming out and telling people what about disinfectant injections it says anyway people are going to die you already know that people are going to die when you have that sort of incompetence that said four more years easy they had the hashtag it was trending today i think it stopped before we went live it was uh drop out now and it was almost like a hundred thousand like it was not a small number of uh tweets talking about joe biden and saying you know he's gonna lose this is a total wrap i have said the same thing for a long time uh he should concede it's gonna be a humiliating what they call landslide this is not gonna be close easy four more years I can only conclude this is what the most powerful racist white supremacists want they do not want a competent logical response in all this they want lots of chaos lots of confusion promoted environment where people don't take it seriously how could you (laughs) the president is coming out and making these type of comments this is what they want I could be in error and again I am not a doctor I'm not a medical expert that's it you know Dr. Francis Cress Welsing third generation physician guest 31 times on this program I thought of uh, the loss not having her with us during all of this like catastrophic on so many levels uh, just you know even 60 minutes of hearing a few thoughts on uh, you know what's happening what are her recommendations you know what does she see in terms of problems as a result of all this like wow grandsister indeed astronomical uh, loss not having her with us that said uh, she was a guest on this here broadcast for 31 times and I think she did a lot of uh, encouraging us to use our brain computer metaphor and encouraging us uh, to take things uh, seriously and to investigate ask questions I know certainly Mr. Fuller says that question everything you have to uh, in a system of racism white supremacy all of that said uh, during the broadcast last week the compensatory call in uh, we had a number of participants callers uh, who suggested seemed to comment uh, that would 
made comments that would tend to discourage people from taking this seriously uh, and or promoting the view that there is no virus. I am not a medical expert. That said, I have to really think about that and say, hmm, now this is happening all over the world. This is not something that's just in the United States. If you were to, we were to be placed in a different so-called country at the beginning of 2020, January 1, if we were to be placed in any geographic location, we would be experiencing some form of coronavirus lockdown. Many places, it would be substantially more intense than what we've experienced. Uh, we heard from uh, the blackmail caller in China. Uh, he was only allowed to leave his residence on certain days, and this was enforced uh, by enforcement officers. You could be placed in quarantine jail. Uh, they had that in a number of different locations, even on the continent. That is the case. Some of them, they're doing that right now. Uh, where it's enforced by enforcement officers. You can't be outside. You can only leave at certain times. Like some places it is, you know, substantially more serious than what we have. Most of us have experienced uh, in the United States. So cold. So that's something pretty substantial to think about that. They are taking this very seriously everywhere in the world. Apparently I'm not aware of any single so-called country that has taken the position that there's no Rona. We're doing business as usual. I am not aware of one so-called country in the world that has taken that position. That being the case, among many other things, I would have to seriously think about that. Now, what responsibility do you have if this is serious, the Rona is legit and you have a platform, you are allowing people to promote views that would not take this seriously and or suggesting that this is not happening. I had to think about that and I had to also follow logic. Let's at least evaluate what's being said, starting with the masks that if the masks portion wasn't there. More multiple people are suggesting that there's something ridiculous, incorrect, wrong about individuals wearing masks around this. And again, they're wearing masks all over the world. I would have to really think about that. And I did not hear any logic. No one said, well, I was looking at this report from you know this medical journal American Medical Association anybody even research that I did and you know there are health problems with wearing masks and uh, you're putting yourself at risk there's something non-constructive about having a mask on I didn't hear that it was only it's ridiculous looks ridiculous impairs with my ability to speak to other non-white people everyone has them on now. I don't know if you're going to commit a crime. I guess that could be happening. <laughs> People uh, are out wearing medical masks or uh, coverings on their face and going to commit crimes, looting, uh, that sort of thing. I guess that could be happening. I haven't heard that report, but unless there's like some serious logic, there are problems that could occur as a result of you wearing uh, a mask, unnecessary, easily avoidable problems 
uh, that are going to result as, uh, as that are going to result from someone wearing a mask during the middle of this so-called global health crisis. I didn't hear that. If it's just going to be that you look ridiculous, it impairs with my ability to speak to you. I think it's ridiculous, absurd, the social distancing measures. I don't really think that's responsible to promote. If it's inconvenient, I think many of us uh, would say, yeah, it's inconvenient. I don't really like this. (laughs) I would hope that we don't have to endure that too long. I totally feel you. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Sylvia Hood Washington, she was with us earlier this week and she said, yeah, I suspect that many of us are probably going through some post-traumatic stress right now uh, with all of this. It's stressful uh, having to adjust to all of this and having a total disruption in all areas of people activity. Like I, I grasp it. I think we had some listeners who talked about that before. It's been stressful uh, for myself. It's been stressful for everybody in the known universe right now Uh, but that being said I don't think that is responsible and I certainly did not hear the logic that would support again promoting thoughts commentary that suggests the so called coronavirus is not legitimate and or people that are taking steps to try to ensure their safety within all of this, the same common steps that are being advocated all over the world, wearing a mask, social distancing, suggesting that there's something ridiculous or wrong about that. I'm just not tolerating that. Uh, And that is for the cows broadcast and my Facebook page. I have been greatly irritated, uh, Mostly make sure the people who are most to blame for this, because I don't think you would have all of this if there was a proper white response. The people that are most in charge, if we didn't have people coming out in the White House saying that, oh, you know, hey, we can look at injecting disinfectant. Shining a powerful light What about that. I'm going to test that. too. If we didn't have that, if we had a competent response, the people who are most in charge I don't think we would have as much of this. I could be wrong with that suspicion. But it has been on my uh, social media. This has been going on for weeks. Uh, People who listen uh, to the cows, follow on social media and what have you. Uh, It started with the black people were immune. I remember I was posting uh, reports just talking about this happening. And someone, I don't remember the exact comment because this was, you know, at the beginning of all this is like over a month ago. It had nothing to do with immunity or anything like that. It was just something about coronavirus related. And the person responded, you know, whatever. Black people are immune. Where did you get this information from? Based on what? Where did you hear this? Again, it was not connected to black people are immune. And this is based on the new report in the American Medical Association or, you know, whomever these are doctors that I uh, follow and they've been reporting on this for some time. They had already done research about this and they had a report published in 2009. None of that. Where are you getting this from? <laughs> like Again, not taking this serious. The people who are most to blame already said they're all white, but not having a serious thought process about this, uh, which could be dangerous. You know, what has been reported is accurate. Uh, and so I, send a report where they are not taking that position that oh black people don't get the Rona that's not the position that they're taking anywhere on the continent they are taking this very serious and are concerned we do not want this problem here and shutting down borders and 
logical steps you would think people would take if this is serious taking it seriously and so I post the report boom very same folks come back and it's not oh man okay yeah let me stop saying that black people are immune. <laughs> let me stop doing that it's oh man I bet they saved the super virus for the black people over there and I just stopped like man that is <laughs> that is a spectacular swing like you start your commentary off with black people are immune no new evidence nothing just someone can present oh wait a minute this is happening on the continent looks like it's impacting black people and it goes from black people are immune to they got the super coronavirus reserved for black people they could do that we read medical apartheid that's possible but I mean oh, it's just unsubstantiated thoughts going to next unsubstantiated thought like wow uh, during the middle of all of this it would be helpful to have more logic less guessing conjecture I've got a feeling in my loins that is not as helpful right now I have my own suspicions and doubts but I'm not a doctor I guess that's another thing I would say Uh, like How do they say if we can keep it 100, if we can keep it like 10,000 for a second? I don't care what anybody read in the CDC, any other medical reports. You're not a doctor. You are not a qualified health expert. I am not a doctor. I am not a qualified medical expert. I am not going to sit up here and pretend like I have some great authority and knowledge about exactly what is happening. This is not a time for guessing and conjecture from people who are not medical experts. If you have suspicions at a minimum, can you find folks who are medical experts and just direct us so that we can read or even talk to them directly? That would be great. I'm not interested in hearing conjecture and unsubstantiated thought about this is not happening from people who are not even medical experts. Like you can't even step step back and say, well, I have been working in a hospital, you know, for the last five days. And uh, I've been taking a whole lot of notes. You know, that's how I came to this. Like you can't even say that. Like, man, this is not a time for any of that. I'm not listening to any of that on this platform if you have that position and you're posting on my social media platforms I'm not listening to any of that you will be unfriended and this will just be will be part ways it should, everything should make super sense I think I said this multiple times as soon as we've started like man this is not a time to be wasting resources time energy if you are not getting constructive information from this here broadcast at this time, man, you should be listening to something else, doing something else with your time and energy. Like we talk about follow logic. It is not about following a person. I say that for a reason and have said that for 11 years for a reason. It's not personal. It's not about liking the cows. Certainly not about liking Gus T. It is about replacing 
white supremacy with justice and for sure and for the foreseeable future it should be super about following super logic the big one being anybody now you don't think this is happening the burden of proof is astronomical to say well what is happening all over the world we don't even have to talk about the United States. Let's pretend they don't even exist. So let's talk about the all the other areas where they're responding to this. Are they all crazy? We've talked to a whole lot of medical uh, expert medical experts on this here broadcast. Folks who write about have some medical expertise. We talked to two of them just this week. Vernelia Randall, professor. She's 20 years experience working as a nurse and she's published and taught about health racism law checks off a whole lot of boxes boom 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 dr sylvia hood washington epidemiologist super qualified and she's published written taught health law racism boom 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 checks them all up. none of them saw any reason to doubt any of this and in fact said this is about what i would expect given the data given what i've been writing and teaching about for years as an expert in this field yep this is about what i would expect in fact a number of folks that you've heard there was a reason i played that segment on how covid19 allegedly impacts the kidneys i had heard that from dr rasayan also medical expert been on the program sometime teaches about this he also has not taken the opinion there's no rona this is all some fooey that's not the opinion he's taken. Uh, I talked to him and he had said, man, it looks like this does things to the organs that might be permanent. Like, ooh, people should take this seriously and not even take the perspective that you want to catch this at all. Because most of the people who catch it survive. Uh, it's very high, you know, survival rate over 80 percent. I said that last week. Uh, but he was saying like, man, we don't know, you know, what type of long term impact this have and all of that like you should probably try to avoid catching this if you can which is what he was doing uh, but Dr. Rasayan taking this seriously but when I heard that about the uh, damage potential damage to kidneys I thought of what Dr. Rasayan said and then I thought of Dr. Uh, Vanessa Grubbs doctor medical expert guest on the program 2017 and she came to Seattle Washington to, to discuss her book on racism with regards to kidney transplants uh, and I recorded the exchange should be in the archives so she's in the archives twice uh, but I thought of her uh, and thinking oh man you already got a lot of black people with those pre- pre-existing conditions as they call them needing kidney transplants and not getting them they was even they were saying that this is uh, disrupting dialysis treatment for some people potentially because you got lots of chaos with hospitals and all of that but I thought of uh, Dr. Vanessa Grubbs I went to check what she's been posting she has not taken the position that this is some nonsense the Rona is not real nope in fact she said the same thing that a whole lot of other folks said this is about what I would expect and in fact I'd be shocked if it's not higher in terms of the damage that it's doing especially to black people you go check her uh, Twitter feed Instagram and see uh, what she said about this fact I could keep Dr. Tommy Curry who is not in the United States right now uh, one of those he's practicing in one of those uh, Nordic countries as they call them 
has not taken the position that the Rona is make-believe. And in fact, he has been pointing out, oh man, it looks like this is having a disproportionate impact on black males and non-white males globally. Like, wow, how that should be pointed out also, falling right in line with what he's talked about in The Man Not. That was on my mind when I heard the report from NPR where they talked about this having a disproportionate impact on males. They didn't say black males, but a disproportionate impact on males. And in that report specifically, they were talking with Sarah Hawks, University College London. Again, question everything. White people lie all the time. Absolutely. But Sarah Hawes, they were asking her, well, why do we think this is having a big impact on the dudes? And so she says, so a large part of the burden of heart and lung disease globally is driven by exposures to factors such as tobacco, smoke, and drinking alcohol. Let me pause just for that moron. What is he? Let me see. He says, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Said uh, factors such as tobacco, smoke, and drinking alcohol, and even things like air pollution, and a lot of that is a very and a lot of that is very gendered behaviors. In many societies, it's men uh, who are more likely to smoke, it's men who are more likely to drink alcohol, and it's men who are frequently exposed to high levels of outdoor air pollution because they are frequently the people who are driving cars, taxis, buses, trucks, whatever. Now we just read. A terrible thing to waste and packing them in, both of which substantiated what we just read there. That's why I would say now with what I'm reading and what I'm seeing, does this not match up with logic? Yes, this maps up exactly with the exact same logic we've heard from some of these folks. Dr. Curry, Professor Randall, she's been on the program many times since 2009. Dr. Sylvia Hood Washington, we just spent all this time reading her book. She came on the program this week. Vanessa Grubbs, as I said, guest on the program in 2017, Dr. Rasayan, none of these folks who have substantially more medical expertise and training than myself and probably anyone on this here program, none of them have taken the position there is something fallacious about this here Rona, or at least what they're telling us. None of them have taken that perspective. So I say all that all of the folks and I know it's not tons or I hope it's not but all of the folks if you are doubters that is that is we have doubters no problem however we are not promoting any of that the Rona is not real this is nonsense you doing things to protect yourself wearing a mask which is required by law in some cases uh, around the world but uh you doing those type of things there's something ridiculous about that something incorrect about that we're not promoting any of that if that is your position no problem you can find a different program find something better to do with your time and energy certainly if you have concluded that you are with the white protesters because that was said last week as well you certainly do not need to be calling into the context of white supremacy go protest join your white brethren don't use any hand sanitizer. I hope they have lots of nice, sweaty uh, high fives for you and chest bumps because there is no Rona. So, you know, go out and protest and be with them to get things reopened and whatever else you think should be happening as a result of uh, all this phoniness around this disease worldwide.
let's see I did also had to make sure we have been broadcasting for 11 years plus the record button is generally on like 99.9% of the time the record button is on Uh, some of the very folks who are saying that you know they they have doubts about this they're not sure if this exists saying comments would suggest you know that this is not legitimate this virus they are not healthy meaning they have reported divulged health problems many of which are the exact comorbidities that are listed Uh, we have had some of the exact callers who have expressed doubts about this where they have talked about having hypertension and being on blood uh, blood pressure medication and having headaches that were so high that they couldn't even go into work this has been you know volunteered on the program like wow again that's what I'm saying like how would I look at this where everything is matching up exactly with what they said it's not like I'm looking at a whole bunch of black people in this part of the world who are super healthy and in phenomenal shape and never smoke cigarettes or consume alcohol or eat unhealthy foods or live in areas where that are highly poisoned and toxified and have access to clean air and clean water. I mean, that's every single black person in the United States. Not to mention, we have lots and lots of essential workers, folks who would be at high rates for exposure. I think many folks, guests and in the sound clips that we heard this week articulated that exactly. And that is corroborated by the very people who call in to participate in the program. I think there was uh, one of the points of contention was that I don't think white people or I have suspicion about white people paying me money to sit home. And not do anything for weeks on end. Well, apparently they're not doing that for a number of black people. In fact, it seemed that most of the black people who call into this program, they are not getting that Corona experience. They are essential workers and having to get up and go out and work in the midst of all of this and hope their employers do right by them and maybe have gloves or sanitizing wipes. Maybe they took out the trash in a timely manner and let them know who has been infected. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Anywho, uh, let's see. In addition, uh, just processing all of this again is we should try to be responsible, take things seriously. That was said at the broadcast on this broadcast. Take things seriously that white people are taking seriously. A number of white people all over the world seem to be taking this very seriously. Uh, Additionally, uh, for things just we're not wasting time and energy on things. Uh, I am not an expert. I try to make space and allow for lots of ideas because I do not know everything far from it. I'm not an expert on anything, including racism. So I attempt to make room for a lot of views uh, and ideas, even if I don't necessarily agree with them, uh, just because I think it's important. We should exchange views. We're not looking for consensus. Uh, All of that said, uh, there was the lack of logic Uh, just there's so much of that I can take and particularly under these circumstances I have less patience for things that are not logical and if it's going to be connected to not taking this seriously people look ridiculous wearing a mask that type of thing which I view as not logical and kind of reckless 
given these uh, times, particularly if it's not connected to any sound logic. I am not going to hear any more about chemtrails being connected to the coronavirus. Uh, I don't think anybody here has a lab where they have conducted a study on the impact of chemtrails, temperature, and the spread of the coronavirus. Absent that report, I am not going to hear any more conjecture about that. They have lots and lots and lots of platforms for chemtrails. This is not one. I am also not going to hear anything else about white people leaving because that was said last week with uh, we should increase focus on that. And I'm not going to hear any more about that either. Uh, To be explicit, if folks want to ask white people about leaving any given area, that's fine. But if it's not connected to a plan, because I see no evidence that white people are going to voluntarily leave North America, any portion or South America. If someone sees that evidence, let's hear it today. Absent that evidence, the conversation would have to be, what plan are we going to develop to get them to leave? And I have not heard anything, nothing as it relates to that. I am not going to waste any time sitting in confinement and just talking, man, I hope they're going to leave. I wish they leave. We should just say that they leave. Why don't you all leave? Why don't you all leave? If they're not going to leave voluntarily, you got to get to the forcing part. We would just have to move the conversation along, not on white people leave, white people leave if they've shown that they're not going to do this voluntarily. Just about what are we going to invest the limited amount of time and energy that we have? How are we going to invest that time and energy? I do not think that is a constructive investment of time and energy. Don't want to hear about that anymore. Again, you can ask white guests if you want to ask them. Are you going to leave? That's fine. Totally different. Let's hear how they respond. But that's not something I'm going to listen to on the platform anymore at this point. Uh, Let's see. Folks have any other conspiracies. They are very popular. Lizard people, aliens, anything else like that. David Icke related. I don't hear about that either. Let's see. Someone asked me on Facebook, uh, and this person also does not think the Rona exists. <laughs> no problem. VGQ, as they would say. I'm not entertaining any more of that in debates every day on my page either. So this person says, aren't you concerned that after they invoke mandatory testing, that there are going to be a lot of false positives once they start testing that they're going to be a lot of false positives of black people, meaning that they go to administer the coronavirus test uh, and it'll test that the black person is positive when they're really not positive for the virus when they don't actually have it. So aren't you concerned that there's going to be a lot of this and then you'll end up with a lot of black people ending up being quarantined or placed in jail or confined or, you know, something like that rounded up in some sort of uh, capacity deemed as not friendly to white people. That type of phrasing was used last week. Uh, and Dr. Sylvia Hood Washington, she did talk about that on Wednesday. She even said that having to wear some kind of patch Star of David type thing. And I said, oh, wow, that's Dr. Welsing. She used to say that all the time. Um, but she said that on Wednesday. She said that she thought, you know, that type of thing can happen. I am not at all. I have no problem answering that uh, on the record. From what I have seen of this, no, not at this point. I could be totally in error. 
Uh, it could be skewed because I'm in Seattle, Washington, and they're talking about, you know, reopening things and that and they don't have a whole lot of black people here anyway. So I could have a very uh, skewed perspective, you know, on how this could uh, look and evolve over the next four five, six months, year. Uh, that could be the case. But my general processing of this in terms of the United States is <sighs> there's such an appalling lack of seriousness around dealing with this uh, at a federal level. I mean, there are a lot of folks individually who are taking this seriously, but in terms of that sort of coordination to, I mean, there would have been ample opportunities the past few weeks to start rounding up these protesters and all or at least being serious about that and trying to quiet some of that down. I haven't even seen any of that. Like uh, they got people out uh, on motorbikes and all the rest of it. Like it just doesn't no aspect of this. I don't see the seriousness yet. Uh, in this part of the world to get to that point of galvanizing. And yes, we are serious about this and the niggers of the contagion. And we're going to get them like what I see is people that let's say we are ready to go get our tattoos and open the bowling out. I mean, I could be totally wrong. Incidentally, my also my thought about this was that white people have shown themselves to be like championship at locking up niggers anyway. Like they would not really need the Rona to help them motive be motivated to lock up black people like they do that (laughs) like they do that all the time anyway unless i have been greatly confused um in fact they've been talking about letting black people out of jail surprisingly with uh all of this and getting people out of prison except for r kelly um yeah and bill cosby other than that they've been talking about releasing prisoners so no i haven't seen any evidence of that and i don't even see the serious mobilization for that sort of effort at this point not that it couldn't happen and if ever black people are rounded up I mean nobody should be stunned about that happening under any circumstances so granted but yeah I just don't I just don't uh, I just don't see that I could much for me it would be much easier to rationalize to see to visualize everything that they have reported is exactly accurate lie here or there we had caller in Chicago talk about them uh, taking a gunshot death yeah some of that but he did say oh yeah the deaths are happening and we are even concerned not the Rona is not real Uh, so even I would take the position I could much easier see what they're saying is accurate and we're just going to do a deliberately incompetent job responding and yeah, a whole lot of white people will die, white sacrifice, but disproportionately, it'll be more black people, and we're cool with having fewer niggers on the planet. Whoopee. I could easily see that happening by just exactly what they're doing. You get people to not take it, or enough people to not take it serious and have just a really ridiculous response and let it spread and kill off some more people. A lot of black people. I could be totally wrong. Not a medical expert. We are not promoting theories, conjecture, sentiments that would have people not take this seriously. Uh, If it turns out that we are wrong, uh, well, then we were wrong on something where we should have been wrong and we're acting in a cautious manner to preserve our health. I can live with that until there is like a lot, like a lot of super, super logic as to why I should think that way. Uh, Let's see last thing I will get in uh, if we could not use metaphors uh, there were a mess of them this week President Trump even cabin Phoebe said you heard that term cabin Phoebe <laughs> like uh, metaphors aplenty 
Uh, if we could be direct, specific about what it is we want to say, that would be super appreciated. Uh, racists regularly will invoke metaphors, similes, comparisons uh, to articulate deception racism white supremacy victims we have been exposed to that misconduct for a long time many of us are still learning especially with the coronavirus we are still learning Uh, so often we will not have logic to articulate our views sometimes we'll have to switch substitute a metaphor analogy of some sort often that just contributes to a lot more confusion Uh, if we could be direct precise with what it is we are trying to say that would be appreciated I will prompt about the metaphors number again 605-313-5164 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate let's see uh, first few folks who dialed in with a hand up. If you have comments, thoughts to share, line should be open. Proceed. Hello. Uh, yes, ma'am. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I um, hope everyone's having the best evening they have. I agree with you. Um, I'm not playing with the coronavirus. I just sent you an email that shows you what I look like when I go outside. You can laugh at me all you want to. It is hot here in tattoo and tattoo country. Um, because I live in Georgia. I am not. I'm not the one. If the wind blows too rough with a hur- with a tornado or hurricane, my family lives in South Carolina. They know to come here. They don't have to ask. They go such and such come in. We be there on Tuesday or whatever day they're gonna be here. No, no, no. I went outside today. I try to go outside every week. Kind of kind of see what's going on. Because people can say things, but you don't know till you see for yourself. I know it's warm outside, and these people are dressing like it's warm outside. They are not dressing like it's the virus. I went to um the, a different side of town just to see where. There's a lot of black people in, in Macon. It's, they're all over. Well, some have, some areas have more than others. So I went to that side. Um, I needed something in the sea. And I just could not believe it. I was at one store, and the lady, she, no, she, I'm sure she was lovely, but she got in line until the line was behind me. She got behind me. I said, six feet, six feet. <laughs> Real loud. Like, I'm not the person. Um, and I was telling my mother, because I managed to get some of the Lysol wipes. I got them. I tried to keep socks. I had them before. Everything was a shortage. And I was reading the back of it. And it said human coronavirus. I go, what? And I told her, I said, I bought these before all this broke out. So something, like, either they're psychic or something is up. So I looked, I did a search online because I'm like, I can't be the only one who sees this. Sure enough, there was a search. And they've had this on there for three years. So the coronavirus this is a new, like they say, novel. It's been around before. And for what they tell, and I believe them, there may be different versions coming around in the future. So get to know this word in your vocabulary. Stay prepared. Stay vigilant like we should have with the flu. If you weren't, um, 
if there's a corona shot, I may get it. I'm still not too sure about the flu shot because I got it once I got the flu. But no, I'm not. Mm-mm. I'm not playing. As we would say, I'm not playing with this Rona or whatever. And then my uncle got it. I mean, I was serious before. Um, but my uncle ha- has it. I think still has it. And he's an older gentleman. He had, um, he wasn't obese. And I don't think he had kidney problems, but he did have a stroke recently. Um, he stays as active as he can, you know. And in fact, he was making masks. So, you know, he was staying active, able to do that. But he had a home attendant go in and out. That's how we believe he um, caught the virus. But as far as I know, you know, thankfully, so far, he's going to be okay. He did have to go to the hospital, but he is going to be okay. So, yes, you can recover, but still take it seriously. Do not bathe in bleach, as some white lady did. Um, But stay clean. And if you have to go outside, I suggest if you can, I think it may be more likely for you to get baby wipes. If you're a man, don't be afraid to get makeup, makeup remover wipes to wipe your face. I know that was in one of the um, things yesterday with the man wiping his face with the Clorox. But they have makeup removal wipes still because I don't think people think to use that to wipe their face and wipe sort of dirt and everything else. Um, so I would suggest you do that. When I go outside, that's what I take. I try to save my Lysol, but I do take baby wipes and I wipe off things and I try to be prepared. And I have to call my other job because they want me to come in and teach. And if the, if no one has a mask and everything, I don't need money that bad because they don't pay enough for that. Thank you. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. I just want to say uh, black self-respect, black self in so many ways, like our I'm suited and booted when I go outside telling that woman who was getting behind you in the in the uh, grocery store six feet. I love it. Like you, same thing that I say all the time. Like you have to take your safety seriously, uh, and particularly now, take your safety seriously uh, at all times. But that is uh, black self respect. I'm gonna need ten feet, maybe like back up a little bit more. <laughs> like back up. I love it. Uh, caller in New Jersey, yes, sir. Yes, yes, yes. Um, again, I will uh, start by saying I am suspicious and I still am wearing a mask and I am wearing gloves. When I say that I'm suspicious, I'm suspicious about the unknown of the origin of what we call COVID-19 and the coronavirus. Uh, today, Um, I talked to a cousin who has been diagnosed with the coronavirus, and he described the coronavirus as his body is aching. He says that when he told me how he feels, he says, you know what? It feels like when someone has exercised for the first time or has exercised for the first time in a long time and your body aches, that's what he feels like on a daily basis. He is a correction officer. Earlier today, I went to the supermarket in New Jersey, certain supermarkets, I won't name drop, they don't need any advertisement. Uh, Black female, I love black females. Uh, Also a correction officer who works in the same facility as my cousin was 
was diagnosed with the coronavirus. Uh, she's experiencing um, extreme fatigueness. She's very fatigued. Uh, she cashed at me money. Uh, I went to the supermarket, the super, some supermarkets, like the one that I went to today. They have a line, and they're only letting a few in at a time. I went shopping for the particular female, and she also has coronavirus. So as five people that I knew have coronavirus, one has died, four have recovered. That's in line with the 20% that's not going to make it, the 80% will make it. Um, Mayor from Atlanta, black self-respect, um, black self-respect. When I called in, I spoke about her comment about Joe Biden. And I said that black people, some black commentators would use her comment to basically call her all kind of coons, sellouts, whatever, whatever. Um, I'm still learning. I never overestimate or underestimate a person's knowledge of racism, white supremacy, because I, too, am learning. Um, Donald Trump, only a white man could get away with some of the ignorance that Donald Trump has said. But, again, that adds on to the confusion. I listened to The Breakfast Club. You had Dr. Fauci, a supposed expert. He's even speaking in contradictions. He's on The Breakfast Club. He says that vitamin C, um, other herbs, does not boost the immune system. That he, he further said that sleep, exercise, and nutrition helps the immune system. I was under the assumption that vitamin C or you have oregano, elderberry, things that things of that um, you know, things such as that is nutrition. And he says that it doesn't boost the immune system. That speaks to the confusion. I also talked to a friend of mine, and we had a conversation such as yours, Gus. And he was his his father is um, not on a respirator at this time. He's basically um, just getting oxygen. They don't want to put them on a respirator. And we have friends that are bringing other um, conflicting, other um, ideas of what this coronavirus is. I think that is very irresponsible because whether you think it's 5G, whether you think it's aliens, people are dying. And I think that it will be really insensitive to bring those kind of arguments to a person who has a family member that is dying or has died. You know, I'm also an essential, I mean, you can call me an essential worker. I'm a truck driver. When I'm on my way to work, I see people of color delivering mail, working for UPS, also standing on the bus stops, going, I'm assuming, to work. So everything that's going on with black people, it, it adds up. You know, it adds up. And this whole idea, I'm seeing also the shaming of black people, the talking down of black people, even when it came to the whole opening up of Atlanta, that was not 
a black decision that came from the top down, that came from the governor. That's not on black people. I've seen, uh, uh, I've seen black people shaming black people for going out, opening up the salons again, getting haircuts, going out. But again, this edict came down from the governor down. That's not on black people. That's all white leadership. So uh, again, and I'll just end with this. I'm only suspicious about where this virus came from. I'm taking this virus very serious myself. The state I'm from, New Jersey, is the second next to New York as it relates to corona infections and deaths. So I have to take it serious. And from Monday to Friday, I'm out driving trucks. So I'm interacting with people. So I take it very serious. And I'll close with that. Much obliged, uh, caller in New Jersey. I'm sure they, they got your back, uh, metaphor in New Jersey and, and little tacky applause and type things that they've been doing, uh, for the, the essential workers, uh, so-called throughout the country. But that's been my observation. Uh, I've seen a number of reports that have said the same thing, that those are the people, uh, who are not sitting at home with their feet up, uh, ordering DoorDash and Uber Eats and, you know, just telecommuting and drawing, you know, genitalia on Zoom conferences. That's not lots of black people. They're exactly what you just said. They are working at the UPS, delivering packages, delivering the uh, DoorDash and delivering the Uber Eats uh, and the other apps and what have you so that people can get all their packages and things. That's the black people. They're working at some of the restaurants that are open during the drive through and such that is delivering the food, making, preparing the food that's being delivered. They're working at the grocery stores. I noticed there's been a lot of black cashiers uh, when I go out and go to the uh, grocery stores, even at the like high end uh, grocery stores. There's still a lot of black people, non-white people uh, working in those establishments. So uh, and appreciate that. Be suspicious. Still be safe. That is intelligent. Be suspicious. Still take it seriously. Logic. Logic. Uh, let's see. Number again, 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. If you could speak up a little bit, that would be helpful. Uh, maybe get a little closer to the receiver or lift your voice. Lots of black self-respect. Is this better, Gus? Uh, give me another sentence. Is this any better? Yes, much better. Oh, okay. Um, as to the seriousness of, of the coronavirus, uh, I believe it's real. Um, I'm convinced that it is. And I'm in a setting with a lot of other public health medical professionals, and um, they're all taking it very serious. Initially, some of them... Um, maybe around January, early January, not so much. Uh, but since then, uh, many of the medical professionals have closed their offices. And 
they are doing telnet. You may be able to get a medical professional who is not in the emergency room to talk with you uh, on a telephone visit appointment. Uh, but uh, I suggest that everyone try and speak with their primary care doctor, at least try to get an appointment and see how that goes. They are closing their offices. They are not meeting directly with people for the most part. That is evidence enough for me. Um, uh, another thing I wanted to say is what I wanted to report on also, aside from that, was that uh, what I've been doing doing during this time, this period where we've had some downtime, is, and I'd like to recommend it to others, is that I um, have been cutting off the noise, uh, for example, the radio and all, a lot of other forms of external audio stimulus, talk shows, radio podcasts, etc., for a period of time, maybe um, plus or minus an hour a day for sure. Uh, for the purpose of hearing what do I think, uh, what I think minus the influence of the voices outside of myself. And the reason I, I started doing that is because I've been very busy. And now that I've had this downtime, um, I noticed that I have been in the past maybe saying things that I have heard others say and uh now that I've had more time to think and listen to what I think, my experience has been that uh, my best true north, uh, which is my logic, uh, is the voice within myself uh, and is the direction I resolve to move in. And so I continue to be most attentive to that voice, and I'm, um, I interpreted uh, uh, my personal logic as my true north, and I decided I will be my own leader in this matter, and um, I respect myself enough to guide myself. I went shopping, this is uh, another point that I wanted to make, was that I went shopping for necessities this week, and this is in reference to the uh, or the clip that was played about uh, disease and prejudice, I think it was, from Hidden Brain, an NPR clip, I think it was. Um, I noticed that they used the word prejudice and not most uh, the word racist, white supreme, nothing about race necessarily in terms of the word prejudice. I think the accurate term would be racist. Um, I wasn't sure, and also that whether the majority versus the minority, it wasn't that descriptive. I imagine that they mean um, white people versus non-white people, which would be more accurate. Uh, but to my uh, point regarding that clip and disease and prejudice was that I had gone shopping for some necessities this week and um, uh, at a store that most of you would know of. But while I was there, I encountered uh, four to five other people there doing the same thing, shopping for necessities. So we're all looking for hand sanitizer in particular. So all of the four to five other people that I mentioned were there were white. So um, there was a stocker replenish, replenishing the shelves on the aisle uh, that the hand sanitizer would have been on had there been any. 
so the stalker knew we were all looking for hand sanitizer. And so the stalker looked through the supplies he was restocking from and found one small, approximately 4.5 ounces uh, plastic bottle, just one of them. And the stalker gave it to the first person that was on the aisle looking for hand sanitizer, the one that was first looking. So uh, this person seemed uh, very grateful that he received that one bottle. Uh, None of us were able to um, get any outside of him. Then uh, one of the other white people, uh, a different white male suspected racist, said in a voice that we would all most likely considered quote-unquote Asian, he said, that, that, um, that hand sanitizer for you, only $30. I usually charge more, but for you today, only $30. And see, you know, obviously he was impressed with himself uh, because he repeated it like three or four more times. You know, only $30 for you today, but not too normal, but only, to, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, while he was practically bent over laughing at his own presumed wit and humor. So um, uh, I just wanted to report that. I thought it was, uh, as I was leaving the aisle, uh, I could still hear him, you know, this troglodyte Neanderthal, suspected white supremacist who, you know, I left and walked down the aisle, left him in the aisle uh, without comment or recognition. But the whole unfortunate scene was tacky, trashy, and trifling. So that's my report. Thank you for listening. I'll mute. Wow. Thank you kindly for sharing, ma'am. That is so uh, disgusting, predictable, uh, the typical triple T's even under global health crisis <laughs> no change at all like what well, and I mean that's like a, a an especially tacky uh layer when you laugh at your own racist joke like you don't even just like oh I'm a chill and I told a good one so I'm gonna let them you know crack it up and ha 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 like oh 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 that was a good one like in the middle of all this, like, man, did he have, never mind, I was going to ask if he had a mask on, never mind. Woo, and they had the audacity in that clip, we're all in this together. They were calling it the Chinese virus. What do you mean we're all in this? And I don't even know how you got through that clip without mentioning the Chinese virus. Like, uh, excellent uh, modeling on being your own leader, leader of one standard counter racist codification love it that is uh, excellent advice for now uh, when all this is over be your own leader uh, you are absolutely qualified to make the best decisions for yourself personal safety uh, other folks who dialed in hand up if we missed you totally uh, proceed can I be heard hello Oops, sorry go ahead you can go ahead. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Oh, excuse me, everybody. Um, so, honestly, um, you know, I didn't know what the origin of 
you know, the situation is or whatever. And I was entertaining different, um, you know, topics and theories or whatever, but it really doesn't matter for me at this point. Um, I don't want a vaccine. I don't want to get tested for it. Like I'm, I'm honestly, um, uh, scared about it because I don't, I don't know what's in it. If I can't get full disclosure of what's in a vaccine, I don't want it. The last time I got a vaccine, um, for the flu, I was sick and the, in the time before that, when I was in the military, I got a vaccine and they wouldn't even allow me to document it in my medical record. And I noticed some psychological, um, uh, adverse uh, events after that particular vaccine. And so did some other people I was stationed with. Um, and also, like my, my last visit to um, the VA hospital where I was severely mistreated, I, I reported to them that I thought I had meningitis and they mistreated me, laughed it off, and then documented me as having a headache. I had to treat myself um, with um, a lot of different things and some leftover antibiotics that I had. So I'm just, I don't know. This is making me um, almost scared to go to the doctor because if, if there's going to be some type of enforcement or whatever, then it's almost like, what are my choices now? What am I going to do? Um, what am I going to do about my, my child who may have to take a vaccine in order to go back to school if they go back to school in the fall. I don't, I don't, it's really frustrating. Some friends and I are uh, vocalizing how we've been praying to uh, the creator, asking for mercy right now because um, we, we were in similar positions where we were kind of um, able to minimize uh, the effects of racism in our lives you know, either by, you know, we were just doing what we needed to do and we were uh, improving our lives, being constructive, and then this happened and then, you know, like for one friend, she's on furlough. For me, I have to, I had to pick up a part-time job delivering snacks, people's, people's, you know, cannabis, sativa snacks to them, you know, like they're just, some people are just enjoying this, they're, they're home, they're drinking, they're smoking and and the reason I'm saying this, I'm not making an assumption, when I deliver these snacks to people, you know, I have to see, you know, what's in the bag to make sure everything's there. And it looks like people are having a lot of fun while I have to be out late, look around for people that might try to rob me, steal my car, loose dog, and then be concerned about, you know, something microbial. It's, it's, it's a lot of stress. I didn't have this problem in February. Um, and then my boyfriend is actually uh, mad at me, so I'm having um, some ac- some problems in that area because he doesn't want me to, to do the job. I have to do it to pay my bills, and he's not able to work. So it's like, what do, again, what are our choices? We don't have that many choices. We're just asking God to give us some kind of mercy and favor right now and, and buffer us and speed up whatever resolution there is. Um, what is this? I'm noticing that W-9 employees are being, um, they're being uh, appealed to with loans um, on their 
future work, which in uh, my logic, based on what I know about sharecropping, is in fact sharecropping, which is modified slavery, to loan someone money on work that hasn't been performed yet, and then you have to be subject to, well, what is this person that loaned me this money, my so-called employer, which doesn't really consider me an employee in the first place, um, what do they consider this work to be valued at? And now, you know, if they say, well, you did, you worked 50 hours or you did however many ride shares or you delivered however many packages, but it's not enough to pay that money back, so you got to keep working. Um, I haven't done any loans like that or whatever, but I know a lot of people are. Uh, and it's, you know, I had said before on another um, session, call-in session, that I, I know part of this is a market. It's, it's a robbery. I don't want to say it's a market reset. It's a straight-up robbery. Um, and then uh, the last thing I want to say is I was talking to my mom uh, about what's going on. She's a self-proclaimed born-again um, spirit-filled Christian, and she told me she was listening to some person named Kim Clement that basically prophesied how uh, Donald Trump is you know, basically God is, he's an instrument of God, he's being used by God to save us from the vaccine, to, um, you know, stop the elites from whatever, dot, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And I found it interesting that he said that because he's also the same person um, that said before um, President Obama was, well, before he was sworn in, he, he had a prophecy that, President Obama was going to be assassinated while in office. Um, and with that said, I'll meet my line for now. Thank you, everyone. And uh, thank you guys for the uh, session tonight. Much obliged. That's Hillary Clinton uh, prophesied about that. They were both wrong. Um, the uh, school situation is many aspects of this are. Uh, traumatizing. That's what Dr. Sylvia Hood Washington said. Uh, the school situation, uh, I've said a few times throughout this, I don't have children, offspring, uh, and being a parent, uh, attempted parent, and then you have this happen. Uh, and again, the confusion, the uncertainty, you don't know. Uh, the report that I heard this week, they were talking about universities. They said it's 50 50 about whether they will have school that starts on time this autumn. <laughs> wow. In April, it's 50, 50 about whether they think this is going to happen. Like, well, I mean, that's, that is extraordinary. Uh, and they were talking about the reasons why and blah, blah, blah. And all this, like lots of stress. If you are an attempted parent, uh, just, you know, trying, that's not even getting through the, the rest of this school year and online and all the rest of it. Uh, and I, I can totally empathize with both you and your uh, partner uh, for him, you know, say, take it seriously. <laughs> I can totally understand. And then, yes, I am taking it serious, but these bills still will be here. Like, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then, like, why I seriously doubt I could be totally incorrect. Maybe this is tons and tons of black people piled up who are just ordering all kinds of little infused trinkets and such, but I don't know. 
uh, who would be propping their feet up, uh, like, like ordering a few uh, THC this, get me some brownies and a soda and little whatever else they're going to get. And oh, yeah, I can sit on Zoom and do my telecommute while I'm waiting. Hmm. Who would have that type of luxury, power in the midst of all this? Maybe I'm wrong. Imhan yeah, DC. It's, I'm sorry, it's absolutely the usual suspect. <laughs> the uh, second time they got quoted this week from that movie, Usual Suspects. Dr. Sylvia Hood, Washington, hit that one too. Imhan DC, thank you for your patience. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you. Can I be heard? Okay. Um, I think so. Uh, so greetings and greetings to everyone else. I wanted to say, um, yeah, I, I would take back uh, that comment about the mask. Uh, I hope I didn't offend people um, about the comment about it being looking ridiculous. I apologize. People should take it seriously, and people should um, take whatever precautions that they um, they find that they need to take. Um, and also, I will modify my commentary uh, so that I am not redundant. Um, but yeah, I don't really know, um, what's going on with this virus. I've never said that it didn't exist. I've always uh, thought that it did exist. Um, I, but I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I hope that we don't have to take mandatory vaccines. That would be unfortunate. Um, I know that Bill, Bill Gates was talking about, or it seemed that he was talking about vaccines being a way to depopulate the planet. But I don't know whether the vaccines will work or not, so I'm not giving medical advice. Um, but other than that, um, there's not a whole lot that I had to say. Okay, thank you. Much obliged, Imhan DC. Uh, the vaccines, that is absolutely something to be super concerned about. That is another thing that would cause a lot of anxiety and stress if that, you know, does come around and how much trust you have about that. Is that the sort of thing that they might say could hinge on school? Like, you know, has your child had the Corona vaccine? Like, wow, that would be, you know, lots to think about. Uh, other fo- <laughs> Ooh, If you don't have your passport like that might hinge like you. <laughs> Lots to think about. Lots to think about. Uh, other folks, we, we have missed totally. If you have a hand up, proceed. Yes, got to be heard. Go ahead, sir. No, you go ahead, retire firefighter. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, as I mentioned before, yesterday, uh, in the... Uh, somewhat of the words, although he didn't invent it. Uh, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose by uh, being precautious uh, with this, uh, with this virus? And uh, I haven't had, I haven't had anybody uh, to give me a list of what they are sacrificing uh, by being cautious uh, with this uh, pandemic 
so uh, it prevails that logic must take over and uh, you uh, be cautious. Uh, every, uh, not every day, but uh, uh, my offspring leaves this place that we're allowed to stay in. And uh, I worry. Uh, but uh, that's all, that's even even without the pandemic, you know, it's, it's part of what I think is to be an attempted parent is that you uh, worry about people that you care about. And uh, so basically uh, my code with him is to uh, uh, constantly remind him of uh, creating layers between himself and other people and objects that he would come in contact with uh, in his, uh, on his job. Uh, Mr. Renegade, uh, I uh, have two suggestions. Well, not suggestions, but inquiries for right now. I'm in the inquiry stage right now as far as with, uh, with possible books. And uh, the reason why I brought it up, because maybe one of them have been at least discussed. Uh, the rising tide of color against white, white world supremacy. That's one of them. The author is uh, Lothrop Stuttered. And the other book is The Great Race. Uh, was written by a person by the name of Madison Grant. Uh, I'm going to uh, do some research on my own. Uh, with the latter book, it was a favorite of Adolf Hitler. So uh, that's, that right there spurred my interest to uh, be something that uh, may be a good read. And the other book, just by the title itself, uh, both of them, from, uh, from what I've researched, are uh, uh, you, you can you can have access to the book from my understanding. Uh, so uh, I'm going to do some further research, and I don't I, I texted to you. I don't know if you received it or not. And that's all I have to say. Thank you. Received, uh, retired firefighter. Thank you kindly. Uh, let's see, unless I have been mistaken, we already read, uh, Rising Tide of Color Against White World Supremacy, uh, unless I am. I thought, I thought so. <laughs> yeah, that's, okay. uh, t- 2016 should be in the archives. I think we read that, um, when President Trump, right after he won the first time around, four more years we read Lothrop Stoddard then uh, because I thought it would be really appropriate uh, maybe even some folks who are here remember that one um, Madison Grant's book Passing of the Great Race is very similar like they came out they were published at the same time and uh, might even be referenced like they're very uh, it's about the same time I mean, you can hear from the titles Passing of the Great Race Rising Tide of Color Against White World Supremacy like it's a little lengthy but I mean it's they're very similar. Uh, not that I'd be opposed to reading it. Um, but yeah, it's one of those already down. Um, they're both readily available. I think like folks can get them at the bookstore online. You don't have to pay a whole lot of money. They probably have it. Well, 
when the library reopens, uh, you should be able to go and you can even get a copy for free, I bet, pretty easily. They're very popular, still well-read, very popularly referenced. Yeah, what sparked my interest of it was, like I said, it was supposed to be a favorite of Adolf Hitler. And uh, I know we can't read Mein Kampf because it's it's just too much, it's too big, too big of a book. And this book doesn't seem to be uh, as nowhere as big as Mein Kampf. So that's why I, I brought that one up. Much anyway, I'll do some more research on it. Much obliged, retired firefighter. Um, Madison Grant, passing of the great race. Put that one in the hopper for the book club will have to be much better than what we are currently reading two thumbs down uh henry in chicago uh if you have commentary thank you for your patience all right uh greetings gus and uh greetings to all the callers and listeners um we played the clip uh, by dr grubbs uh with the uh story of you know, her donating her kidney, and it kind of reminded me of the show that you did with her. And then I also uh, said that, uh, you know, I, I am a kidney, you know, I'm a kidney donor. I donated my kidney to my uh, aunt. Uh, I disclosed that on the show. <clears throat> but my wife uh, had to remind me that I'm possibly a high risk because of the fact that I'm only working on one kidney. Uh, I'm healthy, you know, I feel healthy and everything, but she had to remind me about, you know, me being a high risk uh, of this uh, virus, uh, you know. So, uh, you know, sometimes uh, I have to take into account what <laughs> what my spouse uh, says, especially when she works in a hospital. Uh, speaking of which, uh, yesterday she she uh, was looking at her email and had this strange look of an email that she got from the network. Uh, from the hospital that she works for. Uh, and apparently every COVID patient that is being released, you know, they're doing the little tacky parade, but they're going to be playing uh, going to fly now, the Rocky thing. And she was like, oh, boy, this is just so corny. <laughs> so, yeah, very tacky, very, very, very tacky. Um, I see a lot uh, of so-called conservatives uh you know uh shaming folks about you know uh, uh, us who are taking this virus seriously about how we're cowards and everything like that well you know what if white people want to go out and protest and grab the disease maybe there'll be more of them dying from it so be my guest go out there and get sick and you know maybe they'll maybe they'll outnumber us in in in, in death so you know what i don't care um white uh there was a white i think that was a white person that was on the recording that said that uh you know we're they're looking for food uh i just don't believe that you know white people have to be looking for food uh if anything you know they'll just take from non-white black people if they have to get food uh so you know i think that was pretty ridiculous uh of them uh cook county jail here uh Apparently, the largest infectious infected jail uh, in the country, uh, Cook County Jail, also predominantly, you know, non-white people uh, incarcerated in it. 
Uh, I think uh, somebody mentioned, uh, and this is a metaphor, that it was a petri dish for viruses in that particular jail. Um, There was an inmate who had recently uh, died from the coronavirus, and apparently one one of the relatives had mentioned that they had called for help 134 times. And basically, they just, you know, let, you know, let let the inmates die in there, you know, of this virus. And if there's any conspiracy that 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 should be looked at is are white people giving us this disease? That's the conspiracy we should be looking at, because I think this is purposely given to us. Uh, They're purposely infecting, you know, our parts of, you know, the areas that we live in. That's just. That's just my fear, but that's that's the that's the thing that we should really be looking at, you know. Not that it doesn't exist or anything, but it's just like we should be looking at, you know, are they really infecting us? Because I I do believe that they are purposely infecting the the, the inmates in, in Cook County Jail. So, uh, but that's all I have right now in my life. Jesus, much obliged caller in Chicago. Like wow. Do not want to be in greater confinement at any time. This would be an especially painful reminder of why. Jeez. Uh, and they did have, they had a number of reports uh, about white supremacists plotting to infect black people. So who's to say that that couldn't be on a broader scale, on a federal scale or something of that nature? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of things to think about but they've had several reports it's not like that when it's just out of the blue that has stated explicitly oh yeah white supremacists plotting to spread the coronavirus to negros number of reports we played I think at least two of them uh, here on the compensatory call in Uh, another reason to take it seriously Uh, other folks uh, that we have missed and the Rocky (laughs) we did all those programs on Rocky we did not waste time I always feel uh, vindicated uh, the cultural significance of the Rocky franchise to the system of white supremacy even in the freaking coronavirus other folks that we have not heard from at all if you have a hand up uh, proceed Uh, greetings caller in Florida Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Um, My first observation was I was trying to think there was a term that was being used. I did hear xenophobia and I heard prejudice. Um, I guess they were trying to uh, present that both white and black people are doing the so-called prejudice behavior. But as it got into the clip, I don't know if you heard what it was, Gus, but it was a term called virus attributing or something like that, not racism. Did you did you hear that correctly, Gus? It was something about virus association. It was what the behavior was called. Hmm. <laughs> something like that. Let it me look at the transcript. I'm sorry. I'm going to look at the transcript and see if I can find the exact term. Okay. Um, along with that was, um, I do agree like with, uh, the previous caller that was uh, speaking about the protesters and saying that they need food. And, uh, there was another term I think that was conflicting, contradictory, uh, 
where the guy said, hey, well, if they're going to just have a shutdown, then the, I think he said the cure is worse than the shut. I don't know what it was, but it, that confused me. I don't know what that exactly meant. Uh, it just sounds like races are having fun with just knowing that they're white and that they can uh, go into these areas with guns. I don't know why they need a gun. Uh, this is a, a health crisis pandemic. Still got to find a way to have the gun in hand. Um, as far as the, uh, it looks like the mayor, I think received the text message and the offspring saw the message as well. And, uh, I do appreciate that, that rewind where, where I think she said cowards, if, if we were cowards or cowards don't run for office or something like that. And she used the term white supremacy. Uh, it shows that she seems to be, uh, it looks like less confused about the system of white supremacy and how uh, it affects our everyday lives, really. And as far as this uh, pandemic, the coronavirus, it, racism definitely, I think, is connected to it. Definitely should be taken as serious masks, gloves, and everything like that. Uh, making sure that we stay healthy, exercise, diet, and just continue to study and mainly study uh, white people like with that, that racist joke. That's, that's a good one to catch, like, you know, the, the hurry up and buy, and like how the president was saying it comes from China, like they're trying to mock the speech mock the speech of uh of non-white people um and that's all i have to share uh thanks for allowing me to speak yes sir is it germ aversion that was it when you talk about from the the clip yes <laughs> i never heard of that term i never heard of that see. i don't know what i never that was my first time hearing that John, to make sure I had the context for that one, they said they showed white volunteers who were especially concerned about their health, people with what they call germ aversion, a number of different images. Some showed people who were sick and coughing and sneezing. Others showed neutral images and still others showed scary pictures that were related to terrorism. Uh, O'Shea said that the researchers found that among the whites, white Americans with germ aversion images of sick people significantly increase their explicit prejudice much more so than images of terrorism or neutral images that is germ aversion and explicit prejudice fascinating use of terms in the report all the way around germ aversion I haven't heard that term uh, either before germ aversion but germ aversion you can expect folks who uh, are afflicted with germ aversion maybe maybe that's that fella in the grocery store that was his articulation of the germ aversion he's more uh into his racist jokes because it's the chinese virus and also i'm going to tell even more chinese racist jokes about chinese people and niggers and all the rest of it because you know i got all this heightened anxiety i'm germ averse and you know we got all this so i got to tell more racist jokes could be we'll have to see uh, are there folks that we missed totally? We are almost done. People that had a hand up that we yeah. haven't heard from. Yeah, Can I be yeah. heard? Yes, sir. 
yes, greetings, Gus. Greetings, um, all the listeners and callers. Um, just a few tidbits. One was in regards to the hot um, family and friends that I know. I have two friends that are working at New York City hospitals, and they are, I mean, they're overwhelmed. Um, so I, I, I've heard from my aunt and a close friend that this has been an ongoing thing, and the hardest thing for them is just resources um, and, and the energy that they have to put in to consistently be safe. Um, it's, it's, it's very frustrating, and they're, they're pushing themselves because they understand that they're on the front line, so to speak. I don't know if that's a metaphor or not. I don't think so, but they're, they're, um, they're consistently indicating just be careful as possible. Carry your wipes. Um, if not the mask, at least make sure your hands are clean and do not touch your face. The same kind of um, information that I heard earlier, even though, again, as you stated earlier, Gus, there was so much mixed information. It's, it's very difficult. Um, and apparently 30 people have ingested cleaning products in New York in the last 18 hours after the president's speech about ingesting cleaning products for um, possibly... Um, helping yourself with the coronavirus. Um, just complete utter madness when I just think about that after reading it. Um, and the other thing is more personal, which is um, I have, I'm an attentive parent. My son is at home with me, and it's very difficult to keep him um, occupied. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's important that they still do some physical activities. We stress on the learning aspect of being in the books and making sure the books and you're up to par with your math and your reading, but they have to do the physical activities. And I've been trying to make sure, and I don't know if any other parents may be struggling with it, but trying to make sure that he does his, his stretching, some push-ups, some crunches, just things that keep him physically active. And that's, that's been a very hard thing because I know he would much rather be outside riding a bike or going to the park and playing with his friends, but he's forced to be in this situation. And um, it is affecting, I can tell it's affecting my son mentally, and I'm still just adjusting and learning, just like him. So, um, again, that that's pretty much all I have to say, just working on trying to stay better um, and help my family um, through this process um, as best as I can. Uh, with that said, I'll mute my line. Peace. People dying. Confusion is lethal. <sighs> Disgraceful. Um, that is super important, though. Um, activities for your children, because like if they were in school, they would still get time to run around with their friends, and you know, if they're on a sports team or whatever it is, or even if they weren't on any of those things, like they could just get out and be able to go play around with their friends and go play basketball after school or tennis or whatever it is, soccer. Uh, you can't do any of those things now. Um, even uh, the mayor in Atlanta, Keisha Lance Bottom, she was saying they had the playgrounds like taped off and everything. So, I mean, yeah, it's uh, just finding different creative ways uh, to stay active, get some physical exercise in, even if it's just running around the house or the block, doing, get some crunches. You could do some yoga, get some crunches. Uh, I know we did have some uh, attempted parents. They were saying they had the... Um, track was still like open so they would go out to the track and get some exercise get a few laps in out there uh some areas that's available some areas not i know they closed the uh 
track here in uh, Seattle. So they, yeah, they shut all that down. So you can't even do that. But that is very important uh, for the health of your immune system and just overall health and well-being. Like get that activity. See if you can break a sweat for a little while and still get some strength training in. Like very, very important. You don't just want to sit around and be a sloth this whole time and, you know, devour Netflix and Cheetos. Um, caller 2363. Oh, hi. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so um, I wanted to add a couple things. I'm noticing that a few of the grocery stores, um, some grocery stores I feel are not taking this serious because, for instance, when I go to, um, there's a store called Sprouts here. I live in Northern California. Um, they're allowing people to come in without masks and without gloves. Um, and for instance, for today, I went to um, a different store. It's called Nugget, Nugget Market. And um, they were actually turning people away for not having masks on their face or at least either a shirt. They were saying you have a shirt, a mask or um, anything that would tie around your face. Um, I found that quite interesting how some grocery stores are telling people to have masks on. Some grocery stores aren't. And then as I was in the grocery store, I was thinking about um, I think back at the end of March, there was. Um, a lady in Pennsylvania, it was in the news, or NBC News, um, there was a lady in Pennsylvania who coughed on like $35,000 worth of food in the grocery store. And I was wondering, did anyone hear whatever happened to her? Did she get, she in prison or did, has anyone heard about that story? Have you heard about it? I had not heard about it. I had not heard about it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I can send you um, the news article link. But yeah, she copped on, it was a white woman. She copped on over $35,000 worth of food. They had to throw it out. And that happened at the um, end of March. That had happened. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that's all. That's all I wanted to add that I just found it quite odd that some stores are making people wear masks and some stores are not. So, yeah. Wow. Thanks for taking my Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Uh, they. Uh, I was trying to make sure I got her name because I think this is uh, a white woman uh, who did this, but they said they charged her with four felonies uh, for coughing Ooh. on 34,000. So that's that's taking things serious. Four felonies? <laughs> like That's taking it serious. Right. <laughs> uh, I don't know if she'll get hit with an act of terrorism as well, but um, oh, they got her name. And yep, this is definitely someone who'd be classified as white. Let me make sure I get it. Margaret Serco. <laughs> Margaret Serko, yeah. C-I-R-K-O. She's 35, and they said she was making threats that she was sick while coughing and spitting on the food. Yeah, right. that's act of terrorism. Act of ter- that, yeah, four felonies, act of terrorism. Whammo. Take it serious. Uh, the, the discrepancies at the grocery store. That's why I said it's been so, you know, when you, when you don't have competent federal response and the fella at the White House is telling folks to inject bleach and get a good sunblast uh who knows what the response is going to be you'll have all kinds of craziness you just kind of leave it hodgepodge and people can kind of make it up as they go uh i don't think any of the grocery stores here in uh the seattle area i don't think any of them mandate that you have a mask on or gloves they are most of them, at least my experience, most of them, and then like it gets better with the whiter the store is, meaning it's they intended for white people. It might be a little pricier. They uh, 
do lots more with the social distancing in terms of like every register isn't open and they have like mandatory, you know, six feet between where you it's already got the little feet on the floor where you're supposed to stand at. So you're appropriately distanced. Um, and they have like shields for the person working at the cash register and they're scrubbing everything down, taking it seriously. Um, and then, like I said, the Trader Joe's, they are most serious. They limit the number of people, but I think that's national. That's not like a Washington thing. That's an everywhere thing. All the Trader Joe's, they are, uh, only allowing a limited number of people in stores at the time. And even they are not requiring customers to have masks on. That's, uh, but they're like the most serious out here in the Washington area. Um, do we nab everybody? Anybody else? Uh, or, 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 uh, caller. Hello. Uh, did we hear from you, Ari? I'm confused. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought everybody was done. Okay, let me. I'll, I'll make sure we nab you before we depart. Uh, the folks that we missed totally. I'm here. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hi. Good evening, guys and callers. I know we're at the end, so I'll just make it quick. Um, a few things. As far as the library is concerned, what I downloaded for my um, my son's phone um, for books is an app called Libby, L-I-B-B-Y. I don't know if you've heard of it, but with Libby in your library card, you can connect to any library in your area, in your area. So when you download the app, you put your zip code in, it'll locate the closest library and you can check out books that way. And read them on your phone, and they have audiobooks there as well. So um, we did that. Number two, um, I did want to. He does his schoolwork um, um, online, a few Zoom classes, but I, I've really been thinking of ways that I could possibly um, incorporate some Black history, uh, develop a deeper sense of self pride. And I remember seeing these, uh, <clears throat> sorry, trivia cards on uh, social media. So I went on in a company called Urban Intellectuals. Um, they are out of the volume one and volume two trivia cards, but they do have STEM. They have uh, trivia cards from the 1400s to before slavery, as they list it. Um, and uh, black women um, in black history. So I ordered those since that was pretty much all that was available. And then they also, they offered a monthly subscription for children where you get 30 printables and uh, based on the grade level. So I went ahead, they let me do a one month subscription for 99 cents and it's a 9.99 thereafter. And so I went ahead, I subscribed for the 99 cents for the first month. Oh my God, it was really wonderful. They gave uh, four different uh, persons or topics to talk about uh, a chess player, a famous grandmaster chess player. Then they had handwriting, vocabulary, word find, crossword puzzles. My son's in the seventh grade. I, I really wanted to try to see if it wasn't... Um, 
to immature or lower level preschool quality for him. But I think for the next few months, since it's something new and introductory, I'll just let him do it. I let him, I told him we'll be incorporating a, a one worksheet a day, a one or two worksheets a day, something that he can be done with in literally 10, 15 minutes, but something new, new information. Another thing was I I was listening. I get notifications when Roland Martin goes live on Facebook. He does a live uh, show on Facebook. So I'm listening. And um, who comes on? No other than Mr. Tim Wise. And I'm like, okay, what's going to happen here? It was poor, poor, low, tacky. I mean, he's using words like whiteness. Oh, whiteness has the people out there protesting and privilege and all the terms that we've known are uh, just lying. So I was commenting in the comments going, you know, saying Tim Wise is an admitted racist, uh, listen to the cows. And one person commented and was like, thank you for sharing. It's worth looking into. I'm like, hey, if one person looks into it, and see what's going on going on and i just kept commenting use proper terms it's racism white supremacy not whiteness not privilege racism white supremacy so those three things i just wanted to touch base with you guys about okay i'll meet my line and thank you for taking me last minute i've i i pressed start i pressed 6-1 and i didn't press the star i kept wondering why weren't you picking me up earlier all right have a good night Yes, ma'am, much obliged for your uh, participation. Uh, The sickness is Timothy Wise White's. There you go. That's what to do. Like when you get out, you can ask questions, use logic, inform other victims, let them know about the danger. Don't drink the Kool Aid. Timothy admitted racist Wise. Gee whiz, in the archives. If you got free time, you can go, you know, take a walk, do a little hike, socially distanced hike, or you can go by yourself and you can listen to some of Tim Wise's antics, racist antics when he visited the cows many, many times. Uh, folks, we missed totally. May I be heard? Uh, 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 which one of you was that? Let's, yes, sir. Go ahead. Go ahead. Me? Yes, sir. Truck driver in Houston. We'll get oh. you first. Okay. Uh, I just had um, um, a couple of things. If you have middle school kids, um, maybe you can um, look into um, seeing if they, their school has like online coding um, things on YouTube to um, help them learn how to do online coding. And uh, the second, uh, I had a question, Gus. Have you spoken with anyone um, who may know anything about um non-white female um females who may be pregnant going into the hospital around this time and see what their experience is uh i do know um i've spoken to one person uh cal's listener uh who had uh gave birth right as all of this was getting serious um i think they gave birth in january so they have not Thankfully, they missed when the hysteria uh, picked up. So I do know some folks who have, you know, had to deal with that. Just having a a newborn in the middle of all of this and 
it has certainly added to they certainly do not feel like the Rona is nothing like they feel like oh man this is crazy and you know a whole nother level of anxiety because uh, they've been telling people to stay out of the hospitals uh, for the most part to try to not do elective surgeries in that in that type of thing and I think for some people that that has meant recommending that they have at home births which has you know greatly even though hey whoopee that's great right then we should be doing that anyway um but that is like a massive change if you started out thinking that you're going to have drugs and all the rest of it and you haven't done any of the prep for the natural experience and what that's going to be like and now it's oh no we got the rona maybe you should do this in your bathtub like whoa um so yeah i don't i don't know uh anybody directly who is about to give birth now or has done so since everything got like since last month uh but i do know people who have given birth uh since the beginning of the year and yeah it has been super stressful um yeah just trying to adjust it i mean it would be stressful anyway but i mean wow this is like you know whole nother level it, um, I just want to thank you for that um, interview with Miss um, Hood. Like that was um, very much needed, um, and um, man, that was that was a gr- that was a great great interview. And uh, one more thing: when the last time you talked to Mister Fuller? Uh, last month, I spoke to him right when a lot of this was uh, increasing. I think I uh, mentioned a few of the elements. Uh, he, <laughs> social distancing, obviously, he was big time championing uh, social distancing. So minimize contact, minimize conflict. No problem. I think he's still doing his uh, talk tainment, uh, and he has this deal where he generally doesn't do unless it's like terrestrial radio. Like he'll do W O L with Carl Lewis. Uh, I think he said he did like one in L A. That's uh, terrestrial lady, uh, terrestrial uh, radio. But other than that, he's pretty exclusive uh, with talk tainment. Uh, and doing his uh, weekly segments. You can even hear them on Produce Justice on his website where you can get the book. But yeah, if he uh, is unhitched from that, yes, <laughs> love to get him to, to get a few thoughts. But yeah, I just talked to him at the beginning of all of this. And he also was taking it serious. Uh, let's see. Appreciate it. For sure. For sure. Uh, the other fella, uh, did we miss somebody else? Yes, Gus. Yes, sir. Yes, Gus. I would just like to, uh, I just like to uh, make make reference to what you were saying earlier at the beginning at the begin, beginning of the show, where uh, these white people are very deceptive. And Mr. Fuller said that uh, the destruction of Tulsa, Oklahoma, was was uh, all based on a lie uh, perpetrated by a white lady. And then I was looking at the movie uh, the other night, uh, Rosewood, and the same thing happened, uh, triggered by lies perpetrated by another white female. So, you know, who knows if, you know, all, all this stuff, there, they're misleading the public just to get more uh, more black people killed, you know, by telling them to go to uh, opening the state, you know, where they know uh, blacks, us blacks are susceptible to all these diseases. All these comorbidity, uh, uh, cor- like what the lady was saying, to get us killed, you know. So uh, that's all I, you know, I had to say, and uh, I was making reference to what you were saying earlier. But thanks, guys, for allowing me to share. Yes, sir. 
Yes, sir. That is so wild. The caller uh, who was appreciated hearing from Dr. Sylvia Hood, Washington. I did as well. But like, man, oh, man, the only reason that happened is because I had been so lazy with paying attention to environmental racism, which I had acknowledged like repeatedly. But we were trying to correct that. We read uh not medical apartheid, a terrible thing to waste. Harriet A. Washington. We read that this year. Spectacular book. Top 10 in the archives. You should listen to it, read it, have it in your library. And let's follow up. We should read. We should continue this subject matter and we'll focus on Chicago. Let's read this book. I had that. I've owned that book. For, I think for five years, I had that book in my library and hadn't read it. I hadn't even thought, hey, we should get her on the program. I was just like, oh, yeah, this is a guy. I'm going to have to read this at some point. Time is right and exact. And that book was like a thousand dollars. She said they tried to like price it out of a woo. Time is right and exact. Mm. Uh, Irie, I did not forget. Oh, are you still with us? I thought she was there. Are you there? Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I was muted. Um, my son has a friend that actually has a, a pretty big following on TikTok, and he does fitness training um, every day live. Um, so I don't know how old um, the other caller is that said he's concerned about his son's, um, you know, his son staying in, in good physical condition. But I can email um, this young man's TikTok uh, handle to you, Gus, and maybe the gentleman can get in contact with you and, and then his son will have somebody um, appear that he can actually um, exercise with in, in real time. But, you know, it has to be, he has to download TikTok. But I think it's constructive because it keeps my son active every day. This young man exercises every day. Mm, love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah, there there are lots. I've forgotten about that of <clears throat> like different apps and like YouTube channels. Like um, I know from uh, the yoga perspective, like there are tons of yoga studios. They have like live yoga streams where you can practice with live people um, for like an hour. Some of them even longer if you know you want to do a little bit more. Uh, and they have regular fitness uh, channels and streams that are the exact same thing. Like what she mentioned, some of them are on Instagram and things where you can practice if you want to do it with a live person, if you want to have your camera open where they can see you too, or, you know, you just want to be able to see them. But they have lots of, you know, different apps and streams of that nature um, going on now just to try to encourage people. So, yeah, get up. Young people, if you have children, you can make it a family activity. Uh, but, yeah, I would make that really central because that's such a core component of health. You just, Like your immune system does not work in the most optimal manner if you're just sitting around and on the couch 12 hours a day watching Netflix or surfing around on the computer playing on your phone or whatever like that is not optimal for your health and well-being so yeah get up move around particularly see if you can get a get a sweat going on even better if you can get outside and get some sunshine and move around get some fresh air like wow you can do that and be social distance same time uh, we nabbed everybody. I don't think I missed any folks who had a hand up. Hurrah. Uh, we will be here. I am trying to take uh, a day off. Just, you know, I strained my voice a little bit and we broadcasted like 
every day. Uh, been on every day since Tuesday. Like, uh, I'm going to at least take two days to rest my voice and then you can check the schedule. I'm going to see if we can, uh, chat it up with Dr. Vanessa Grubbs. Cause I thought the information about the kidney kidneys, uh, was super important. And this time period, I think it is great to talk to people who are using logic and have some sort of medical expertise so that we can ask questions, hear what logic they're presenting and what they're doing to try to keep themselves safe. So just check the Facebook page, black talk radio network page, uh, for upcoming broadcasts. We should be here before, um, Thursday for the book club. That's same time, 8 PM Eastern, 5 PM Pacific. Uh, last comment I'll get in. Uh, they have been talking about different things to watch since we are at home. And, uh, if you read, hopefully I posted the app for Libby, get some reading in. Hopefully you'll have some books. Uh, you can go back and listen to things in the archives for the book club, lots of things, ways that you can hop into new reading material that's constructed once you've done all that and you do have anything to watch i'm sure folks already saw or some folks saw the uh michael jordan documentary i am not encouraging it recommending it because it's mostly not about white supremacy racism and in fact i would say they even uh same thing the npr report did they erased they sanitized some of the components of racism uh, one part I know because of reading being more important, Phil Jackson uh, wrote quite a bit about his Bulls experience. And I read two of his books. Uh, they did talk about the situation when Michael Jordan broke his foot in 1985 playing for the Bulls and the white owners suspected racists. Uh, who did not want him to play and this becoming a big deal. And they said, it, you know, it impacted in a very destructive manner, their relationship for the next 13 years. Like he broke his foot in 1985 and he didn't retire uh, for good from the Chicago Bulls until 1980 until excuse me, until 1998, 13 years later. So, I mean, for this to be hanging over their relationship or for this to have exert a non-constructive destructive influence over their relationship for the next dozen years. Like, wow, Phil Jackson wrote about this. And so Michael Jordan is saying, I want to play. I think my foot is better. I'm ready to play these suspected racist, Jerry Krause, Jerry Reinsdorf. No, no, it's too much of a risk. We're not going to win the championship this year anyway. So don't risk it. We don't want you to play. They explained it in the film. However, the way that Phil Jackson explains it, and he has the word in quotes, the white people, Kraus, Reinsdorf, they told him, you are our property. Michael Jordan is not a critical race scholar. I don't know if he's read Mr. Fuller's work or not. I don't know if he's read, uh, read Dr. Welsing's work or if he listens to the cows or not. Invest if you do, Mike. Much obliged. But Phil Jackson said that they used the word property. Michael Jordan, uh, in that documentary, he said, hey, we grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina, where they purged all the black people. Racism was everywhere. That's what he said. Racism was everywhere when I was growing up. Uh, and so it was a big problem. I didn't want to have to deal with that. Oh, OK. He talked about racism before her. That how could you grow up in North Carolina? Wilmington. How could you grow up there and have racism not be a problem? Mr. Reed. So they say you are our property. Mr. Jordan might not be an expert on racism, but apparently I am not that confused. Some white people telling me that you that telling me that 
I am their property and telling me what I'm going to do with my body the man not they didn't explain it with the exact term that was used uh, I think if you get the full explanation with wow they said property that's what riled you up for so long huh oh okay much better understanding they didn't include that in the documentary that is reading more important than watching television if you want to read uh, Phil Jackson's book it is there and he has a number of different incidents that pop up related to racism white supremacy but I thought that was interesting uh, not recommending that folks view it just know that I suspect a lot of folks not a whole lot else to do they'll be watching uh, with that, we'll be broadcasting uh, again soon, hopefully with constructive information. Uh, you can drop an email if you have questions, queries, ideas, suggestions, until justice at gmail.com. Passing of the Great Race, Madison Grant, if you need reading material. Uh, again, sobriety would be best. Get to say it multiple times in the broadcast. Uh, Rona related or no. Smoking, alcohol, all of that is listed in uh, a terrible thing to waste components of brain damage and environmental racism. So there are lots of reasons sobriety would be best. In addition to being sober, let's be buckled every time we are in a vehicle. Uh, We should be very strategic about where going under these uh, conditions anyway. But if you are going to go out, you look, you verify, you got your essential worker paperwork whatever else you need you're buckled in you're thinking I'm not just being reckless I'm going to be very purposeful if I am leaving I'm certainly going to try to avoid going out late at night if I can you got all these anxious armed whites could be dangerous with that you're sober you're buckled you check before you go out and you're not on the cell phone again we do not want to have any goofy reasons Uh, to be accosted by race soldiers badge or no under these conditions that said creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places Each and every time we are in contact with another black person, it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my condition. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.